What's he going to do this time? Is it a pen? Is he going to use like a... That was the first one. That was the first one. I know. That was the first one. I was like, what's the next one he going to do? Is he going to use a book? He's like, oh, what's the next one? Is he going to use a fucking towel? It's like, that was amazing. He's going to use a gun. No. Well, in this one, yes. No, He's evolved. No, he... That's the thing is, in the movie Jason Bourne, he's not saying the worst since Snowden the man. He's actually saying this is the worst thing that happened since Snowden the movie made by Oliver Stone. So wow. It's so, that gives us a rough timeline of when Jason Bourne the film takes place. It's very, see, all these contextual clues are really good script writing. Boom. Him and Kirk he are the on sword the... for no reason. With Sulu? No, Sulu has... Yeah. Uh, there's a reason why Sulu probably... First okay. of all, according to the news, his name is Gay Sulu. I'm Nero. Impressive. My name's Eric Banner, and I drive Banner? the... Banner? Banner? <laughs> fucking <laughs> Ron Universe, man. Come on. Come on. Get out of here. I, I remember getting really grumpy after that scene. Like, oh, the dialogue's so bad. And then... All of a sudden, I completely forgot. I got totally wrapped into the action part. I totally Fuck forgot. Yeah. You all forgot the totally that- about the USB drive that had the tape on it that said encrypted. <laughs> How are you going to know if it doesn't say it on the side that it's encrypted? It didn't really bring anything new to the table that I really cared about. It really just kind of like was a retread or a treadstone. <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we visit the Jason Bourne series, which has its fifth entry, which sees the return of Matt Damon. Once it starts, it is going to be intense. They are going to know that somebody was on the inside working with us. But you guys still think I'm going to be okay at the company, right? Tell them. You're cooperating with the government, yeah, right? Yeah, no, okay. I know, but I mean, I'm just asking if you guys think I'm going to be okay at the company. I think the corporate culture is going to change a little bit for I you. I should say so. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back into Film Tang. This is episode 75, and I am your host, Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and a guy who's becoming somewhat of a reoccurring character yes. here. That is Brian Turnbaugh, who's back Ooh, again. Again, two weeks in a row. Love Ooh, it. I know. Yes. Yeah. You let this guy on the premises. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, uh, he's a uh, bitch. We have fun here. <laughs> we well, sometimes. Uh, as I mentioned uh, in the intro, we're going to be talking about Jason Bourne, which is the fifth entry into the Bourne trilogy or Bourne trilogy, the Bourne, <laughs> the Bourne entry into the Bourne trilogy. Yeah, it's actually kind of. <laughs> let's kind of let's just roll with it. Yeah, ah! no, yeah, yeah. That was good. Yes, Alex. I hate to tell you this, but we got hacked. It could be worse than Snowden. <laughs> Worse than Snowden. Can you imagine? They, it's topical. No, I mean, to be fair, I mean, just hold on, but that uh, is like the equivalent of every like terrorist thriller movie to come out when they say, we haven't been hit like this since 9-11. I, I will say, yeah, I mean, we, yeah, I mean, they don't have a color grade anymore. Yeah. They have like a two-spectrum like yeah. a, a, a two spectrum line where it's just like, is it worse than Snowden or... 
not as bad as Snowden. It's like the uh, Donnie Darko scene. Are you on the spectrum of love or hate? <laughs> I love that scene. That's so great. I will say this, uh, that, well, the first mention of Snowden comes early in the film, I think. like after The trailer the for Snowden? <laughs> I was just going to say, oh, we happen to see, yeah, you fucker. We happen to see the, the newest trailer for Oliver Stone's Snowden movie, yep. and that looks terrible. And that's the thing is, in the movie, Jason Bourne, he's not saying the worst since Snowden the man. He's actually saying this is the worst thing to happen since Snowden the movie made by <laughs> Oliver Stone. So, wow. And so that gives, us, that gives us a rough timeline of when Jason Bourne, the film, takes place it's very see all these contextual clues are really good script writing boom wow well paul greengrass known as a great script writer yep yes not no. good good filmmaker sometimes yes i don't know about script he writing he knows how to stage some shit he does we'll get more into that a little bit later okay <laughs> <laughs> and talk more about uh jason Bourne in general as we've never really visited the Jason Bourne series on this podcast before. So we'll get more into that. If we have, uh, I've forgotten. Yeah, as as, this this fucking guy. I love it. Because the whole amnesia thing. Yes. Oh, shit. Forgot about that. (laughs) It's doubling back. Love it. Hopefully we can have no more mentions of that throughout the rest of the episode. I will try my hardest. (laughs) Will you, though? I, I... don't don't Promise. forget don't forget all right you need to always try and if you if you you know if you forget about it just remember and then we're going to find out that your name is way not cooler than what your actual name is by the end and then it's just going to be disappointing what's his name like Ryan Webb or something like that David, David Webb. Webb David Webb yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's too which bad. kept distracting me because i kept thinking of uh, Mitch, Mitchell Webb from Peep Show which is like huh the most British and hilarious, uh, like, if, if that guy was the protagonist in, in a Jason Bourne movie, I would totally watch that. There's nothing British or hilarious about Jason Bourne. I was Bourne. just going to say, I feel like Paul Greengrass would be a little disappointed if anyone said, well, that felt like the most British, like, oh, no, that's not what I was going for. That's, oh, man. No. That's okay. All right, we'll talk about that later, or we'll forget about it either way. <laughs> so, first, let's do a week in review. Week in review. I have a couple things to talk about. I know Tucson has something that he has thoughts on. Oh, oh yeah. My God, you guys got so many things to talk about. I yeah. know. So, I will start let's get really quickly. To talk the first thing I wanted to quickly mention was me and Nick got together uh... and... Uh, dedicated three hours of our lives. Let me go get another beer. <laughs> to watch, he's actually getting up and going. Look at this. <laughs> to uh, actually watching the three-hour R-rated Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice cut. Why? What? Why? Um, because I bought it, and Nick was interested to see it. Believe it or not, even though he hates superhero movies, mm. we watched it. Uh, I will say this: Jenna Malone is in it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So her scenes that got cut out, we're back in. She's a all, bad girl. No, no, no. She's a she's a like an analyst in a lab of some sort. What's her character name? Don't know. Couldn't remember. She Couldn't so remember. it was no like hint of her being either a Barbara Gordon and or she Robin. may be. Okay, uh, she was only Barbara. in the movie for about fifty seconds. Oh, so she didn't like even with all Bruce that. Wayne? Oh wow. Yeah. So, um, yeah. The the the. Thing I can tell you about the Ultimate Edition, if uh, we're still talking about that, <laughs> he's a bitch. If you are thinking about giving it a try, just don't. Just step back. Maybe watch the original if you kind of liked it, but don't 
don't go out of your way to see this because it was it was not good. Like you guys are a bunch of haters. BVS forever. Maybe they should, you know, maybe they should just stop our show from happening. I don't know. They could write a petition to have us not podcast anymore. Yeah, we're going to touch on that maybe Are we? a little bit. Yeah, yeah we're going to talk about that a little bit. So, but anyways, Batman versus Superman, bad CGI, Superman flying at it with him mm-hmm. carrying somebody over. I, I sent you guys the clip of it. It was so <laughs> bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. The I one that you edited the, the music over? Yeah. I was very proud of you. What music did you put into it? It was uh, some something that was on my iPhone that oh, was just, just stock. Like a, okay. yeah. Actually, coincidentally, it was better and more interesting than the actual music <laughs> movie that sounds about right <laughs> um also contradictory subplots that come into play for some reason um there's more backstory to uh the the characters who are uh come in and find the original person who's being branded by batman like there's the cops and they're watching that basketball game with somebody and they someone makes a comment and that's like their origin story i guess so weird they're being called <laughs> on, a, on a call like through the walkie-talkie and right. they keep ignoring it because they're so engrossed in basketball for some mm. for some reason it's not basketball about. it's football football and now oh. i just remembered and it's football where gotham is is winning like 60 to nothing they throw well, yeah they got batman on they, no, they throw a Hail mary pass being up 60 to nothing in this football game somebody catches the ball out of bounds and it's called a touchdown and then the team start fighting i what I, I don't know what's happening it's like, based I on a comic I know, book i don't know that shit you about read, sports so. and that doesn't sound right no, at all it's it like, doesn't it never and, happens it just never happens <laughs> Yeah. It's a it's a wonderful addition to the, to the movie. So I'm glad that they decided to put these extra 30 minutes back in uh, and put in the two blood squibs. And then there was that one heinous scene where they actually tie people together and light them on fire. Uh, that was actually what probably... Was that? that was in the first scene with the sand and the guy with the tattoos on his neck. I've yeah. already forgotten. Oh, the bad guy? <laughs> yeah, who yeah. pushes a, a, a lady, who the one who goes in front of Congress... And says that she, uh, her village has been destroyed, even though Superman in this edition stops a bomb from hitting her village. So that's wow. weird. It's yeah, almost as if this entire version is just a crock of shit that they just slap together right. in order to kind of redeem uh, an irredeemable character. So then she shows up for the Sokovia Accords and uh, tells, <laughs> "Oh, Alex, you're getting your yeah, continuities yeah, yeah, screwed up." Not- <laughs> so she oh, doesn't man. really matter, but you know, yeah. I, I get what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Good stuff. And then there's a whole subplot with her and the tattooed man. It ends with her getting pushed in front of a train for some reason. Thank God. Is this House of Cards? <laughs> Did you just stop and start watching I, House of Cards? All I have to say, nothing really else for it other than the additions to Batman vs Superman were just as confusing as my small descriptions of them. Um, so. Don't don't see it. Uh, it's interesting though because like right around the time that this, I mean, you guys might remember this. It felt like there was like a little brief wind in the sails of a pro Zack Snyder thing that was going around online, which is like, no, no, really, he got screwed over because they cut out his original version of this, yeah. and had he only been able to put his his true grip on this, it would have been the movie that we all deserve. That's people and, just and grasping saying, straws. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is that like, is that just? I mean, that I mean, obviously, we're just looking at that was all like. There, Emperor's New Clothes type stuff. In but. my opinion, there's always going to be some Zack Snyder apologists out there. But for the most part, he there's nothing he can really do at, 
at this point right now that's mm-hmm. going to turn it around for himself. I, I I liked his Dawn of the Dead remake. I thought it was it was all right. It was it was entertaining. Um, I wish he would stray away from this the superhero crap and make more films sort of around that vein, still within genre, but just like not this genre because I don't give a fuck about his take about this because it's so juvenile. Um, and I feel like his juvenility could have been put to better use in more like grind housey sort of like exhibitionist sort of genres like compared to that I feel like that that would be more of his his wheelhouse that I would actually be able to enjoy on that speaking level. really quickly yeah speaking really quickly of directors who just cannot seem to get their shit together me and Nick when we went to go see Jason Bourne mm-hmm. saw the new trailer for M. Night Shyamalan's Split and I actually think that looks pretty good I saw that and I thought it looked kind of ooh. okay yeah. I think it's going to be a huge hit because I have not seen a trailer in quite some time with a theater that full in which the entire theater was talking about the trailer minutes, not minutes, seconds after the trailer. Like, usually, yeah. You, you, there were some genuine, like, shrieks right, in the trailer that I, were in the theater when I saw it. It's a man wearing like, a dress! I mean, comedies will always elicit laughter. Like, that's really yeah. a bad, like, you can't ever yeah. judge that. But, I mean, literally the trailer ended, and it was just a just a complete wave of just people all of a sudden having to talk about what they just saw. I just think it's one of his first films, actually his first film in a long time, that I actually think looks interesting yeah like since like uh, avatar or, uh... keep going village you're ta- maybe you're talking the about the last air yeah, i'm saying that his, that's his last film that i would genuinely thought looked well, like I was appealing about avatar Thank what about you. the visit the visit was what his i've heard a good last thing about it. film and i, I heard it was okay it. it was okay i mean i saw it but it was okay so yeah. maybe he's on his way back up yeah we'll see but it was it, you know the visit was you know you had to stomach the ca- the handheld camera you know <laughs> yeah. aesthetic for that amount yeah. of time so mm-hmm. it worked yeah, but yeah. it was, it was okay. we'll see i don't know it could clean up in january put it that way i was gonna say it's not yeah, gonna have much competition no uh the other film i wanted to mention really quickly uh, is a film that I believe Toussaint saw last year and said he thought it wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I sat down, watched all two hours of it, and I actually pretty much loved every second of it. Okay. Uh, and that is The Man from Uncle. Yeah. Oh, that. Yeah, I didn't really. That I didn't really fuck with that. No. No. It wasn't my thing. What, what did you like about it? I will say. Um, First of all, it's not the man. I thought it was the man from you. Dot. Shut up. Anyway, <laughs> continue. <laughs> so. So. Uh, this film doesn't necessarily hit all of its comedy beats at all. Some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, I will say, though, the story, the action, all of it is not necessarily anything new, but I just liked every minute of it for the most part. I enjoyed it. I thought some of it was unique. I thought some of it was cool. Um, and I... I just liked all the little choices that were made throughout the film, whether it be let's have this small slow-mo scene here with something happening in the background, and we see an explosion happening pretty much off-screen almost. That was a Guy Ritchie film, wasn't it? It was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. I like I like Guy Ritchie, um, like his earlier films, but like this one, he's a he's a polarizing film director. I just I just don't find Henry Cavill charming at all, and him trying to play as a charming character. Um, it just it just kind of rubs me the wrong way. He's like he's kind of up his own. There ass. is also this weird thing where Henry Cavell, who is British, plays an American, and Army Hammer, who is American, plays a European. 
So wacky. Alex, like I told you, it's it's avant garde. And Alisa Vikander. Whiskey. It's a commentary on the on the fluid nationality of citizens all across the world. I just but thought this is literally colonialism. A film, this is a film that literally buffers around like the Berlin Wall at that time. So I, I, was, I was like, well, can I uh, just really quickly seg into trivia corner? Do you know which? Famous director has been trying to make a Man from Uncle movie for like a decade before. Giving, Paul Verhoeven. Nope. Before giving up, uh, and then and then Harold Ramis. Nope. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh. Really? Oh, okay. I would watch and that. And this one got made without him. See, it's funny though because there is a like B movie Soderbergh vibe going. I was going to say, here. I believe this is somewhat not leftovers from his script, but it's like. Because he had been attached to a version of it, I think some of there's there, at least there's at least a lot of a the vibe. kind of weird uh, camera transitions yeah. that feel very Ocean's Thirteen ish. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it wasn't necessarily great, but um, I wanted to sit down for two hours and enjoy a kind of dumb <laughs> spy thriller, and that pretty much gave me everything I wanted. Yeah. In that, so I enjoyed it. Yeah. Way to go, Henry Cavill. I don't hate him. I'm on the opposite plane of. I mean, I don't. I don't hate him. I just. No, I, I mean, just don't. I don't. I hate what, him. I don't see. What, those, he has done so much shit <laughs> that I cannot. Uh, it's okay. It's okay, buddy. Look, I, he's not one of those actors that I hate. I just. He's like, dead now. You don't have to worry about it. He's not dead. <laughs> anyway, Superman. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's in the ground except for the dirt. Uh, which is now. he dead or is he Batman's totem? Hmm. Is he dead? Oh, is he dead or are we dancer? <laughs> no. Oh. Only Batman would know the yeah. physical properties of that hunk. Okay. Anyway. Um. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, that's all I've got. Let's go to Tucson. Do you want to go next? I know you had something yeah, yeah. You, uh, you saw you wanted to comment on. Yeah, I saw a couple of things this uh, this past week. I went up uh, to the city in order to visit two of my friends who oh, I hadn't yeah. seen in a while. Um, and eventually we just like sat down, like they have all these movies, like on the service that they have. And eventually we were just like clicking through, just like looking for things. I watched high rise and that's a bad movie. I was really looking <laughs> yeah. forward to that. And Lisa- almost clicked by on that or rent uh, a few months ago. Yeah. I, I was, I, I was really vibing off that, uh, that trailer that had tangerine dream on it, like, mm-hmm. um, ride on a real train, I think. And I just thought it looked so fucking cool. And then I watched it and I was just like, wow, I, I, maybe I need to watch this again, but I'm just really not fucking with this on a, on a first pass. And when just, do you know it's so bad? Like where you're like, I've really made a bad where mistake. I've literally like, lost the like, script. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, a, I've seen the trailer and I know shit happens and I'm trying to pinpoint where the turn is. And I guess the turn in that film is when, just for whatever reason, shit in the actual like high rise starts breaking down, and the society then like devolves into this caste system between the lower levels and the higher levels, and then they start in this like feudalistic like prehistoric man versus so like man fight. See, vertical I, stationary snowpiercer is what you're. Yeah, that's I'm, what it is. I'm, I'm kind of with what well, snowpiercer is better. Yeah. I'm kind of with what Brian's saying though, because I feel like. For films, not necessarily like High Rise, because I haven't seen it, so yeah. I can't really comment too much on it. But if you look at something that is an all-time classic, like something like Mulholland Drive, mm-hmm. like yeah. if you watch the first hour, I don't Nick here because perked up. If you, if you watch the first hour for the first time, you know nothing about Mulholland Drive, and you just decide, eh, I don't really like this. Like I, I could see a person reasonably thinking that. Yeah, I, I would say unreasonably because that fucker didn't finish the movie. <laughs> anyway, can, can you at least and like? Yeah. Okay, thank you. I well, but 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 they're a terrible person. But did you ever have that feeling in this film where you're like, boy, is this going somewhere? Because I really hope so. I know that there are 
people that I know personally who have great esteem for this film, I'm looking forward to like going back and like reading what their thoughts are simply because like I know that there is a subtext to this that necessarily that I do not have the intimate background of having been from Great Britain. I don't know a lot about Margaret Thatcher. I don't know a lot about like industrialization and things like that. And it's like without those sorts of things, then I'm not going to be able to like glean, I guess, the the appeal to the satire of the disintegration of um, society as it's kind of like focal pointed in this like one area. So I'm really just interested in going back and like reading that and getting that vibe. But from just my initial impression, it's just not my thing. I, I think that it's a I think the mise en scène is really nice. I lo- I love brutalism. I love architecture that's sort of like along that lines. Um, I think that uh, Tom Hiddleston, like he's just he's just somebody whose screen presence I appreciate just because I think that he is a very interesting character actor. Um, Jeremy Irons in the, is in this film, and he I kind- love Jeremy. Irons. I know I love Jeremy Irons too, and he kind of kind of plays uh, the the role of the conductor. Like he's the architect for the high rise. So, oh, he's Ed Harris. He's like, yeah, yeah. he's he's the Ed Harris. Uh, ana- and there are bad ana- things up here. It's loud. Yeah, <laughs> like the analog in this film, and I sort of like like him in that role. Honestly, I feel like I should probably like go back to watch it a second time, even though it's two hours, and I was like, oh my god, I need to just end. Can, this can film. I say that uh, just from seeing the trailer and reading the cast list, I was surprised that Sienna Miller was in this. Was she yeah. any good, or not really? Uh, I can't. I. Honest to God, I can't even remember. That's her. not a good start. Yeah, um, I don't ever remember Sienna Miller in a movie. She's in. Uh, no, I mean, like, I know she's in these movies, uh, okay. like American Sniper yeah. and, and a few whatever. But like, GI Joe. She yeah. she has. I don't know what it is about her, and I'm trying not to like sound like a bad person, but she has apparently a face and a personality in which I genuinely cannot place her. Where just, you'll literally look away and you're like, "Who the fuck is that?" Oh. Just, yeah. yeah, and I think hmm. A is because she's only had supporting roles. Not like she's been a star, but hmm. I just I can't differentiate between anything she's ever done. And that's why one of the reasons why I was curious to see how because she really, uh, from at least from my knowledge, hasn't been in that much lately. Yeah. So I um I watched something else uh, this weekend. I watched two other things that I just want to talk about real briefly. Um, I was sitting down with my friends and we were going through the entire list. Like, okay. So we can either watch uh, – when we're just deciding what we want to watch. Like we can either watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit Ooh. or A History of Violence. Oh. And that was one hell of a choice, and I decided to watch A History of Violence because oh. I, I had actually seen uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so I always knew what I was in for. And I'm just like, you know what? I want to roll the dice. I like David Cronenberg a lot, and I just – I really want to gain a, a a greater understanding of his later work because as a science fiction like aficionado, I'm only – I'm I'm more familiar with films like Videodrome and Scanners and The Fly. I haven't watched The Brood yet, but I'm working on it. I'm like eventually I'll I'll watch it. Um, and I really enjoyed this film. I know this is one of Viggo Mortensen's like favorite films that he's acted in. Um, it's so weird the fact that this guy played Aragorn is like he was like on the top of his game. He could have probably just been in any of these tentpole films and he just decided to just walk away from it. And I was just like, I gotta respect that. I haven't seen the whole movie, but I've seen parts of it and I really want to see both A History of Violence and this movie, but the next film that David Cronenberg made called Eastern Promises. That yeah. one is that, did you see this one? I've seen I've parts seen, of it yeah. and I've that... wanted to watch the entire thing because I've heard it's right up my alley. It's, it is very good. It's, yeah. if, I mean, especially if you like crime and it's, it's that type of mafia that you aren't used to seeing which is this entrenched russian mafia in london and all of the just murky areas that they're into and um 
Um, but it's Ego Mortensen. Ego Mortensen. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, he is so great in this. I'm. I'm. Yeah. I'm really just. Uh, I, I. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought that. I, I feel like. David Cronenberg's prior body horror sensibility does come through, but it just doesn't dominate the entire like the the the, the entire film. Like there's a a shootout in a diner where Viggo Morrison like shoots one of the uh, the guys who's harassing them in the in the mouth, and like literally pans back to like the practical special effects of him just like bleeding out on the on the diner floor. And I was just like, oh my god, that is so gruesome. That is so Cronenberg. Yeah, and I was just like, that is undeniably like his shtick. So I can't, I can't hear you say that and not think of Tom Hardy in the movie Legend saying a shootout is a bloody fucking shootout. Yeah, shootout. Yeah. It was that movie's horrible. Yeah, so. that's all. That's the only thing I, I remember. Was that that history of violence? Of that was based off of a graphic novel. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. it was. Yeah. Yep, yep. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, just off of initial viewing, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Also, that same weekend, we just made a whole weekend. Yeah, of I it. guess so. Wow. We decided to go see uh, Star Trek Beyond. Oh. And I was genuinely surprised about how much I actually enjoyed it because from that initial trailer, I was just ready to just like cast it off and not see it at all. But my friends are really big Star Trek friends, so I'm just like, okay, I was like, let's go see it. Um, I like Star, like, I, I like science fiction. I like space operas. I like the the original conceit of Star Trek. So like, we'll see how how far this goes. And yeah, all those elements that were in there, including the. It felt totally divergent song of the Beastie Boys with Sabotage actually comes through in a very I, I think a very clever way, in a very very like fist pumping way. It's like I really enjoyed its inclusion in that film. Um, well, it has a really nice callback to the first Star Trek film too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With yeah. uh the younger version of Kirk driving the stolen car down yeah. the highway listening to that song. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think of that. That's like, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's really yeah, so I, I guess there there is like it's classical music. <laughs> yeah, it's like is it classical music? I I think that one of my my favorite roles in this film was Bones, who's played by um, <laughs> Urban. Yeah, Keith, Carl, 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 Carl Urban. Urban. Yeah, Keith Urban. yeah, Keith Urban. Carl, Carl Urban like played off yeah. of uh, Spock in this film was just awesome because he's just as snarky. He he brings out the asshole in Spock that yes. I knew was in there, yeah. but he's just way too <laughs> yeah. straight laced to let it yeah. out. It's so funny you say that because when me and Nick went to go see this. Nick said that that was one of the worst parts of the film. Really, I for some reason I enjoyed Carl Urban as Bones in the first movie, and even though I hated the second movie, I enjoyed him in the second book. But I feel like his performance was getting worse with each installment <laughs> because he's playing it up like ten times more yeah. each. I, yeah. I don't know for some reason it didn't really work. I didn't hate it, whatever. But one thing I will say to this movie's credit that I've said uh, to you guys before, which is that I did not. Really, I was not a fan of this movie. I didn't really dislike it that much, but I was just on the cusp of just not really a fan. But yeah. this is the first movie in this new trilogy in which uh, somebody has captured the uh, the spirit and the true uh, ev- evocative feeling of the original series of Star Trek. Like, <laughs> like being stranded beyond the the scope of... Of, I, of human comprehension in another world and I trying to like piece it together. I would say even more like just the camaraderie and the optimism at mm. the heart of the movie. That's why Star Trek Into Darkness is so stupid. Not because like 
they can't face like certainly dark problems, but it was just like the 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 Christopher Nolan version of it that just mm. I'm just saying as mm. far as trying to make everything gritty instead of uh, I felt like if you wanted to make a gritty star you know op- soap opera movie uh, space like opera then make that but don't a, call it star a better Trek. comparison would be like a like a one of the darker Marvel movies probably I mean I haven't darkness. seen it since it came yeah. out and I don't care about it but yeah, sure um, but this new one was the first time in which uh, these characters were interacting with each other in a way that actually harkened back to an original cast what, for what the I, first time. What I will say about this, even though I didn't necessarily love it at all, it's my least favorite out of the three by actually a somewhat wide margin because I really like the first two. Yeah. You hate uh, Joy. Anyways, uh, I did really like that this became much more of an ensemble film than yeah. the others. and I, I thought Which it was always been what Star Trek well, should be. And it was nice. And it, I, I guess it was a little weird to see a lot less of Zachary Quinto, because I feel like his character was almost like... Spock is almost sidelined in this movie, I thought. Oh, yeah, in this movie, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But um, I, I really enjoyed seeing a lot of the other characters who, who were almost almost afterthoughts in the previous two yeah. more prominent here. It was I, nice. I feel it's called like... Star Trek, not Star Kirk. I, I feel like Spock's entire arc was pretty much summed up. Like it, it was doled out piecemeal across the film, but I feel like it was pretty much summed up in that scene where he's meeting with like the Vulcan Council and they give him the news about like past Spock, Leonard Nimoy Spock having passed away. And yeah. I thought, like you know, acknowledging as much as Leonard Nimoy has been such a, a huge part of this new like series up until this point to acknowledge his death in that way and to actually just tie off his character. Like I thought that was, I, I, I really enjoyed that. Like, I, I thought was, that was, that whole part was a little weird for me. It is weird. Like, because yeah, yeah. Here's I, a Star Trek. Here's yeah, a, I know. No, no I'm just no. saying like, that's, that's, that's why I loved that part was because that was one of the most Star Trek-y things about mm-hmm. the whole thing was but, that they didn't care about bending the timeline or continuity yeah. to, to to shall we say expose a more uh, human emotion that will really cut to the audience. Well, yeah. and it was very interesting about that specific part of the film because modern day Spock was much more concerned about rebuilding Vulcan than about his like per- his his future um, destiny or anything like that. Because so. he felt like he had to follow in the footsteps of his predecessor, who was in a lot of ways himself, and he was just like, well, I have to fill the role of this person who is sort of like the elderman of like what remains of Vulcan. Of course, then at the end of the film, though, that's completely forgotten about. Well, so. no, because he... What about the musical montage? He, he, it's he ends been up a long seeing, time. He ends up seeing the picture you, my friend. of the original cast. <laughs> damn it. Of, 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 of the original like, Star no, that, Trek that, cast. That was great. I, I love that. And yeah, he's just like, you know, it's like you're better together. It's like you know what your place is, and your place is beside Kirk and with the rest of the Enterprise. And, like, And not check off because he's gone. That that's another thing. Like that you, that was another great part of the ensemble cast. There was way mm. more of Anton Yelchin. He was mm. coincidentally right at the forefront. I'm, yeah. I'm mm. I'm looking forward to seeing at least. I'm looking forward to seeing the next film. Not only because like I enjoyed this one. Uh, there's some things that I didn't like about this film, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing this continue to like move forward. Simply because I I want to see how they they tie off Chekhov. I want to see I'm, I want to see how Chris Hemsworth is going to come back into play. Yeah, I don't know what gonna that's going to be, and maybe it'll be just some Kevin Costner bullshit. Yeah, but maybe it'll actually be good. We'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Here's a here's a a question uh, to pose to the panel here, which is: Is there someone who has more creative power in Hollywood? Uh, is there anyone who has more creative power in Hollywood now more than J.J. Abrams? Christopher some, Nolan. Look, wait, somebody who. Uh, 
I mean, Christopher. No? Christopher you don't think so? Christopher Nolan His is name, working he, as he, an attache to the DC Cinematic Universe. Christopher Nolan on. is starting to find his way into more films as a producer. He's almost becoming a, a, a smaller... I think so. Like what? All the DC stuff. He's uh, a producer on those? Yeah. He yeah. He's That's on, not BBS. <laughs> to, to your... To your question, yeah. Brian, I think that it all depends on how you're actually measuring power. Because in terms of like, here's I mean, the no keys one man to the castle, and well, you it, can do whatever you want. In, like, in, in that way, then I would say that J.J. Abrams definitely is because he literally is like the he he, he pretty much is, is the the standard bearer for not only he for two of the titular like science fiction franchises yes. of their time star trek and star wars and mm-hmm. he's also like, he's got a cloverfield going which has that indie cred thing yeah as it's, well, it's so. good, like that, that's a weird beast that i've yeah. already talked at length about before that i'm i have my own feelings that i'm really interested in as a just a a concept of itself by the way really quickly yes just to step back i was wrong about the christopher nolan thing i thought okay I was a lot say. more no he's been a producer on three films that were not his and they've all been horrible uh batman versus superman okay uh huh. Man of Steel, mm-hmm. not good. Transcendence. Well, well he only did why, That was the Johnny Depp one, right? Transcendence yeah. because Wally it was his videographer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, still has his name on it. I would say that Christopher Nolan. Is I still put my powerful. name on a lot of shitty reports I handed in college. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't mean they were. Oh boy. Anyway, okay. I yes. would say that Chris, Christopher Nolan does have power, but a different kind of power compared to J.J. Abrams. Specifically because we've already talked about his his producing credits, and I think that's really more of like, can you please put your name on this so people will go it's, see it? Like people s- really like the Dark Knight trilogy, but I think that he has a power in that he pretty much is one of the, in my mind, the few directors who has direct carte blanche to yes. approach oh. whatever idea to do whatever they want. He's are, are we hired. About, we talk about J.J. Abrams or Christopher. I'm Nolan? talking about Christopher Nolan. Okay. I, I would say he's that hired. Let's, I, well, let's see what, he's, what, what is upcoming. I'll say this much. It's hard. I mean, Christopher but, Nolan, that, that next movie he's going to do is is way different than a lot of things he's done in any recent memory. Yeah, like, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. Well, no, but we'll see Like, we'll see what this is because this is kind of out of the realm of what he's been doing for the last I'm not saying it's going to be good. Years. I'm saying yeah. that he can do whatever the fuck he wants. But he hasn't. That's the thing. <laughs> Like he hasn't been. I mean, he's done dream movies. He's what? done the Batman in production. Movies. Memento? Are they making that a TV show or something? Oh no! There's there's be are a you remake. fucking kidding me? No, Memento. Remember there's we talked about this? We have a bet out on this that uh, uh, Leonard <laughs> yeah. Shelby is going to be played by Josh Brolin. I'm going to win ten dollars if Josh Brolin plays Leonard Shelby. He's making an I'll give army you a chance movie. to back out right now. Dunkirk. I'm not. I'm, oh, sta- I'm sticking with Dunkirk. Him. Allied yeah. soldiers from Belgium, Britain, and France are surrounded by the German army evacuated during. A fierce battle in World War Two. Yeah, so this is a Steven a movie. Spielberg movie, and oh. Christopher Nolan's going to make it. Oh, and wow. I don't. I, it Wait, could, what does that mean? Like Steven Spielberg wrote the script? No, it's the kind of movie that Steven oh, okay, Spielberg made. No, I just thought make. maybe there was an actual. No, like, there's okay. not. Yeah. I just but wanted to make it's, sure. It's for me just knowing what the film is on paper. It I mean, is Steven very Spielberg diff- directed a Cohen script, so I thought maybe I'm like, no, oh, did he write anyway? All I'm saying yeah. is that this next film that Christopher Nolan is doing, I feel like is. One of the first times in the last 12 years that he's stepped outside of his kind of comfort zone a little bit. Maybe the prestige, we'll but I, I no, still... the prestige is right up his... I, that's what I was saying. Like, even that is still pretty much right in his wheelhouse. I mean, so. I, I don't know if I can go that far until I see, like, a trailer to that's see... That's true. It, it, yeah. could, it could be all right. that with science. Oh. <laughs> 
Did you have anything else, Tucson, or, or any more comments on Star Trek Beyond? How about Idris Elba? You love Idris Elba. How'd yeah, you think that, of it? That's one here? thing I didn't like about this uh, film. Uh, I felt that um, it's it's the classic way of trying to cast a it actor at the time like mm. Idris Elba very much is like he's so hot right now Idris Elba he's so hot right is now he? yeah he is because he's going to be Roland Deschain from the Dark Tower series which I'm really fucking hyped about right. uh, for a yeah. lot of reasons a lot of reasons um, is he is he hot though I think so yeah like is he hot like Benedict Cumberbatch was two years ago yeah oh, they're both so hot yeah. I mean I mean wait what are we talking about in terms of popularity, you think, <laughs> you think Idris right, Elba is in the same place that Benedict Cumberbatch was two years ago? I think that if he was not as old as he is now, which is the reason what he is for, for what he gave, that he would be a strong contender for being the, the, the new James Bond. He's pretty much cast himself out of that. Like he says, like the reason why I didn't go for. Jason didn't they pick the dude from like the Divergent movies to be the Bond? Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, no, look it up. I, I swear they said this is the guy. I don't think they've officially. I don't know. I don't know. Oh boy, I've been hearing I it was Tom Hiddleston. I've been no. hearing over and over it's going to end up being Tom Hiddleston. So. It's not going to be him. No, no? I, he's pretty I much been. I promise you, I think they've made the it. decision. Hold on, really? Yeah, I, yeah uh, that's, boy. What, that's what I read. I, hey, God, it's like people hosting the Olympics. Taylor Swift. I'm just saying, you got a lot of stuff you have to show up for. <laughs> you belong to her. <laughs> is that a bigger sign of where the Bond series is right now, good or bad? Taylor Swift? No, no. Oh. Daniel Craig. <gasps> she should do a Bond theme. I would be all over that. Daniel Craig turning down $100 million to be the I next think that's person. more Daniel Craig. I okay. mean, Daniel Craig seems like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, he's a great Bond, and that's why he's a great Bond. Um, yeah. But he doesn't really seem like All a... Right, maybe, uh, all right. I was like, maybe it's not. Maybe it's Brian. <laughs> I gave Brian. False witness. Oh, oh, giving fake news on the internet. We're cutting your streak off. Off. You're not coming back next week. Frick. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah, Idris Elba, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm really not a fan of the fact that they they included him as a character and they basically like put all this makeup on him where you could barely like recognize him and then they shoot I mean that's what they do. And then they shoehorned away or just like it, it's it's exactly like Oscar Isaac in X-Men Apocalypse where they just they had a scene at the beginning just to be able to show his whole face yeah. only they did it backwards in this where they just like Made, they, they shoehorned a reason right. of just like, well, no, it's actually he looked like this before. Maybe that has more involvement with other parts of the old Star Trek. I hated that part of the story. I hated it. I that he this... like becomes an alien, be living in there this planet. There are a lot of plot lines in the original okay. series of, of the current crew going back to communicate in some ways with old existing crews. So that, that is technically, whether, okay. whether it's through time rifts and uh, seeing video footage or like, like they do in this movie mm-hmm. or, uh, or other like face-to-face which ways. Which is, which is it's yeah. totally fine. And, 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 and I've mentioned before, I'm not into at all the previous Star Trek series. Yeah. I like this current one. I, I really like the first two films, especially. But that whole subplot with him becoming this alien dictator character and then reverting back to his old... Oh, I didn't... I'm not saying it makes any sense. <laughs> uh, most Star Trek plots don't. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So, moving on to Nick uh, yep. and your weekend review. 
I just want to mention two movies. Uh, then slowly, maybe not so slowly, going through some of my Criterion Collection sale purchases. So <laughs> I need to talk about uh, uh, all-time classic Red River from 1948, the Howard Hawks uh, Western movie. Uh, and I'm not a big fan of Western movies whatsoever. Uh, and yet uh, Howard Hawks is, he, he made the movie Rio Bravo. Um, and that is probably my favorite pure Western I've ever seen. Like, uh, did you like the, um, uh, what were the more recent, uh, Western that it was, um, 310 to Yuma I thought was pretty good. Actually, I, st- I have it on my shelf, yeah. the, the James Mangold, uh, remake of it mm-hmm. because I, I've seen the original, I forget yeah. who did that one, but I've seen the original, but I have yet to watch, but I've heard that's good and yep. it's on my list to see. Uh, but I haven't seen, I mean, like, I don't really count Tarantino's movies, like the recent ones, yeah. uh, as a pure classical western because he's doing much more than that so like to go back besides that i think like unforgiven was like the last true western which is fantastic actually but all the ones from the true heyday of westerns i usually it's just not my cup of tea but howard hawks apparently is my guy to uh make that kind of thing because he made the movie uh rio bravo uh which i watched and uh, that I watched last year, and that was like an instant classic. And I don't even really like John Wayne, but he was in that, and I loved him in that. So I'm like, okay, he's only made like two or three other westerns. I, I might as well seek out his other ones. So I watched Red River, which came about 15 years prior to Rio Bravo, which kind of made me worried because I thought the older they would get, the more I'd just not be able to get into it, mm-hmm. just because of my just just uh, connect from the genre itself. But Red River, even if I didn't like it as much as I liked Rio Bravo, was another classic. And he seems like a true studio filmmaker that was not like... And John Ford is fantastic, but John Ford was a Western filmmaker. I mean, that was his bread and butter. Howard Hawks was like a studio filmmaker that just made a few Westerns mm-hmm. and infused that studio sensibility into them like no other because I, once again, ate this one up. Uh, it stars John Wayne and Montgomery Clift, uh, mm-hmm. and John Wayne kind of plays against type because he plays an evil person, not pure evil he's not a villain but he adopts a, a son who uh as a young boy he runs into because um his family i think is implied was uh murdered by native americans and um because he uh raises him uh, on his own and he uh starts a whole cattle company um by 15 years later the, the film jumps in time and he now has basically he has no money left he has all this cattle but he just he's hit a whatever rock bottom and so he's gonna make this big trip that no one's ever made with as much cattle as he mm-hmm. has and he's gonna take his adult son with him of course and his whole company and as the trip uh, continues on he gets more and more kind of affected by both alcohol and uh, just his own uh, depression with his uh, current place in life and he starts making more uh, uh brash rash and uh, abrasive choices mm-hmm. as to like can i ask a, a question about yeah. his backstory which is is the w- was this a, a a ranch that was in his family for quite some time no, no no he literally like they show you the making of it because he okay. literally just comes across this land ah. says it's his okay. and he even shoots two people down that won't <laughs> okay, sell so. it to him so he was kind of all oh, always kind of <laughs> he was always kind of that way yeah. but he was a, at least I'm an optimist so to mm-hmm. speak in the in the beginning but then when all the men start to kind of turn on him and say listen it, it'd be a shorter way to go through here and the railroad is coming through here and he won't believe it becomes this 
true clash of the new generation versus the old generation. Oh, yeah. And it totally climaxes in in a pretty emotionally cathartic uh actual fight between the two men uh you know this so it becomes his father's son but it's really surrogate because they're not mm. true you know uh but old and new and i just thought it was fantastic i thought the way it was filmed i thought the sets were uh gorgeous and really uh for a movie that's two hours long from 1948 and a western a genre i don't particularly uh care for i thought it was expertly paced i mean mm. The fact that I kept, like, like I only was going to turn it on for, like, 10 minutes and fall asleep. But then I ended up watching the whole thing because it just knew exactly when to end the scenes and to continue on. And I thought it was fantastic. And even for being 1948, there was uh, there's a lot of uh, comedic moments, uh, thanks to uh, Walter Brennan, uh, who is a, uh, plays a supporting character, who is always a, a welcome say. And, like, there were jokes in this movie that I was actually laughing out loud at because it was just so wonderfully paced. And so, yeah, I, I highly recommend uh, Howard Hawks belly movie. laughing or just a little I mean not like belly like, oh, you know like when <laughs> I wasn't doing a Jared Leto or anything <laughs> but Boy, I was you, you're, you're like six I'm episodes bring, in a row with that uh, yeah, I'm that getting was, excited Suicide Squad's coming out man I can't yeah, contain myself it's gonna be Obviously. great very vexing. Yeah. All of those reviews out there have just been unanimous, and I cannot wait to just go out and watch it. It's going to be... I'm going to run a train on these chicken fingers. Man, <laughs> it's going to be great. But, uh, yeah, I, I recommend uh, <laughs> Howard Hawks' uh, Red River. The only other movie I wanted to mention uh, is another uh, Criterion edition that Shocking. I watched. Uh, I know. Uh, I know. Uh, and it's called The Kid with a Bike, and it's from the year 2011. Uh and it's by the esteemed uh, Dardine brothers, who are the French filmmakers behind, uh, let's see, the most recent thing they did that I think a lot of people might at least know them from was Two Days, One Night with Marion Cotillard. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, that was probably their most popular film. She was, that was uh, not a landmark moment, but she was nominated for Yeah, that Oscar rarely happens for, uh, a, foreign for a foreign film. language film to enter a major category. The first time, not well, she, the first. she won. Oh, and for she won. Le'Veon yes. Rose. Not for that. Right, right, right. She won for Le'Veon Rose. But yes. that's two nominees. I mean, that just shows Marion Cotillard's yep. talent, but also them as filmmakers to. True. Have something that gets into a major category is is really something. True. And I've seen Two Days, One Night, which I think is pretty much a masterpiece. And I've seen a movie from their 90s, which is a movie called uh, La Promesse, which is translates to the promise and, oh, thanks for uh, cleaning that up anytime. <laughs> on the fence <laughs> <laughs> and um, I thought that was quite good not quite as to their later work as, which is what I prefer them in and now I watched uh, The Kid with a Bike which um, was fan-fucking-tastic oh. uh, this the thing that really draws me to their work is that their premises are like you could sum them up in one sentence so like for example two days one night i could just say that movie is about a woman trying to get her job back by uh going door to door and uh pleading with her coworkers to overturn a vote that uh that changes her employment status like hmm. that is the premise of that movie and that movie is about nothing more than that like you are just watching that unfold now there's subtext so to speak if you want to read into it because it's a pretty good allegory of depression and trying to define your self-worth mm. and stuff like that but like they d their movies do not exist outside of the vacuum in which whatever situation uh, they find themselves in so the kid with a bike was no exception it's quite literally about a kid with a bike <laughs> pretty much it's, <laughs> but the, it's about a kid uh, shall we say an angry kid tries to reconnect connect with his father who had abandoned him uh, and uh, there was a bike 
for sure. But that is pretty much all this movie is about, and it it has such a wonderfully emotionally subtle journey because it's pretty. It's, I think it's a ninety minute film, oh, okay. roughly, so to speak. And it is uh, like by the time it is over, it it that's the thing about the Dardine brothers that they always end their movies the minute there's nothing left to say. Like, they don't go for an ambiguous ending. Although, certain maybe mainstream audience members might not, because if they're not into the journey, they're not going to, like... But Because they also don't end it in a climax, so to speak. It's, you know, you're not watching it to see where this is going. You're just trying... You just watch real life unfold. So it has more of an even plane other than having ups and downs yes, throughout? Okay. pretty much. And I would say... Uh, the Kid with the Bike certainly has a slightly more climatic feel to any of the other movies I've seen by them, because okay. there is a, certainly a, an act of violence that occurs toward the end of the movie. But even that is so organic because you're introduced to uh, uh, this kid's environment and a world in which uh, violence kind of flourishes. And uh, it is just it's a, such a stunning movie. I was like... I was already on board from the first scene, but the more the movie kept going on, the more I kept getting engrossed. And then the final scene came, which is in no way some kind of revelatory twist or anything like that, but it's such a perfect summation of how to end a character's journey uh, without going overboard. Uh, it's just a simple choice the kid makes that tells you everything you need to know about where that kid is headed and, and what he's learned from what's uh, come before him. So I cannot uh, recommend the kid with a bike more than I, I can. I mean, the, the other thing I'll say is that um, it's a pretty easy watch for people who might not even like foreign language movies. Not because you maybe it's pretty possible to maybe find it slow, so to speak, but it is such a realistic movie and it is in no way, shall we say, idiosyncratic to French uh, culture. Like, this, you could have had this be an English language movie and not change a single word in the script or anything like that. So, in that way, I would kind of recommend it. Whereas, like, Two Days and One Night, there are certain things in it that are, are I would say, are certainly, I don't know that America would do the same exact practice in that one. Ask questions about making it shorter. <laughs> oh, boy, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, The Kid with the Bike, it is a... And here's the thing. I'll say one more thing, which is that it centers around a child, and that can be kind of uh, a risk for any filmmaker mm-hmm. because that's... I mean, that's the whole emotional uh, catharsis rests on this child actor. And not only does it center around a child, but it centers around a child playing a character that can be hard to sympathize with because he doesn't always make the right choices. And that for me at least, for this film viewer, only made me sympathize with him more because he was recognizably childish. And he just, like, the more he would screw up or possibly do the wrong thing or not make the adult choice, the more I just, like, fell for him because I was just, like, this is what would happen in this environment, and it made me like it even more. So what do you know about, like, French film culture in that do they have more of a sponsorship to allow for a story like this because it i mean it, it, everything is so driven by like we well, listen are we gonna get x amount of money what kind of ancillary profits are we gonna get i mean those are decisions that drive a lot of the commercial film in the united states but the, the way that you say that they have the risk to be able to stop uh, a film well, like just in the style that you said like is that something that there's a more of a well-funded film society that comes either from a, an endowment of arts through France because I know like I mean, I w- some countries do support that yeah. much more than I think the United States which means that we're going to get more Transformers movies as opposed to something that sounds so uniquely experimental as <laughs> more this. Transformers movies uh, funded by 
uh, Trump Chinese, uh, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not saying this as as a as a xenophobic thing. As like I just noticed this even from watching uh, Star Trek Beyond that. I, I noticed Alibaba pictures and uh, uh, HR uh, uh, uh. HR b- brothers when I went to go see um, Hardcore that Henry. That wasn't like product placement in the movie, or was it just like actually? No, those the, are people the... that are actually like funding money to these actual huh. films. Like they're they're looking for like Chinese like like uh, production companies who are like putting up the funds for it. And so I'm just like I'm not trying to be like I'm just like saying like that's a reality. Like well, so, I mean China. At, Say it to Tucson. China. 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 Look at um, <clears throat> people from Abu Dhabi who have gotten involved in real estate holdings. I mean, they own mm-hmm. lots of parts of places in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, movie places. You would know a lot funding. more about that than me, but like Well, I'm just talking about general like mm-hmm. this People who sneak in, and I, I love how anyone in in our culture they you know they say, oh, we're sending all these jobs over there. Like these things happen over time. It's not just one day. People are like, oh, we're sending all our jobs over to like. It's mm-hmm. called free trade. It's free trade is one part of it, but these kind of culture shifts happen over time, and they mm-hmm. happen while people aren't paying attention. Where mm-hmm. Oh, hey! Every all these stuff, all these places are owned by foreign holding companies. Mm-hmm. Oh, how did this happen? It's fucking been happening. It's, like it's right. when yeah. multinational corporations are allowed to. How did we get here? Are allowed to um, outsource their production to different companies, and then they play leapfrog um, between the actual process of how the their products are put together, so that they have to pay the very least amount of taxes. Um, Possible McDonald's. There was a fabulous documentary that I watched when I was supersize me. Yeah, that was a great one. That's not the documentary. Supersize me. Anyways, uh, this documentary I watched when I went to COD was fabulous. About Uh, is this about the libel law in uh, in England when it was like McDonald's was suing? Was that was? uh... I don't think so. Okay, there's a lot of McDonald's documentaries out there. You can find them if you're looking for them. This one was about how they get. Every single part of their restaurant from a different place, for the most part, mm. from the lettuce to the meat, meat uh. to the buns, it all comes from somewhere else who happens to be the lowest bidder mm. wherever throughout they've bought it from. And it's a fascinating documentary of how they are able to capitalize on selling a hamburger for 99 cents. Of course. They have to have the greatest amount of profit with the very least amount of cost. I, w- I would say probably it was a great read, and it. I, I mean, you could knock it out almost in, a, in the afternoon. Is um, Schlosser's Fast Food Nation is excellent? Oh, yeah, check very that good. Out. Yeah, yeah. it's very good. I, mean, I, I think they adapted a movie from it, it a yeah. couple years ago. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Brian, what, what about you? Uh, you? Yeah, so I finished uh, Stranger Things uh, oh, this week. So, tell me yeah. what you think. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think I, I'm wondering if I wasn't watching it with my son. Would I have liked it as much as I did? You know, because I mean, yeah. he loved it, and then of course you just radiate that type of excitement when sure. you're watching it. Although, you know, I don't. I think I would. Be, I would be okay if they didn't have a second season. I mean, I think I know that they're angling for that. And I was listening to something this week, and they were saying like, 
even the the most even the, the worst Netflix original series have always been renewed. I mean, like yeah. Hemlock Grove. Yeah. I mean, there's been nothing they they have not renewed for a second season. But I think it would be okay if they just walked away and just kind of deal with it. I mean, there's enough lingering stuff out there in in the uh, last episode, but. I think it would be it would be refreshing if they just said just deal with it. I mean, this is these are the type of untangled things that you're going to have to yeah. to wrestle with, and I, I mean, I think that'll be fine. I read a really interesting um, roundup on Slash Film where they basically took like the eleven eleven mm-hmm. like uh, <laughs> pre existing uh, threads that have been answered like in some way by the Duffer Brothers as to what they want to explore in the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they're uh, and this is something that I realize after rewatching the series with my mm. friends over the weekend because mm. we just piled through that um so you've watched stranger things all the way through twice i've watched it all the way wow. through twice and i actually cool. i really enjoy it um and I, I i was actually very much uh relieved after reading that slash film article because they were just like you know we have a 30 page document of lore that we would like to explore in like future seasons mm. and we don't want to spin this out of control where it's just like becomes bigger than what it is we want yeah. this to just be a finite story mm-hmm. and we're going to tell it in as many seasons as we feel is necessary and then we're just going to dip out and i feel like netflix is going to respect that and i'm just like you know what that makes me feel mm-hmm. a little bit better i know that that alex is is rubbing his fingers together necessary. saying it's like you know, you know as, as long as the money keeps on rolling in but you know i i want to be optimistic about this because i feel like this is a this is one of those few shows like that's come across in like recent time that I'm really just invested in, and I really would just like to see whatever it, they have, whatever if, right? whatever they have. If you just look at one noticeable difference between this and most other, if not all other uh, Netflix original shows, it only had eight episodes in the first season, so yeah. they already seem like they are trying to do it in moderation as to what the story needs, there, which is pretty good. There's a method of uh, of self awareness that actually. Um, clued into for the last episode where the kids are all together and they're playing their D&D game. They're mm. fighting at the Fessel Hydra. Yeah. And their whole uh, their their whole repartee at the end is just like, what are you talking about? I was like, that's it? And I was just like, that campaign was way too short. What about the, the Lost uh, Knight and the Proud <laughs> Princess yeah. and those eggs? And I'm just like... Holy fucking uh, shit! They're right. totally yeah, yeah like setting like, it up. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 totally talking about the the show itself. I have to say really quickly, I've obviously heard a lot of mm-hmm. things about Stranger Things. I had not seen a second of footage for it until there was that weird trailer that played in the Maria Menounos before the film commercial mm. thing that plays at pretty much every movie theater. Now. Oh, I hate those. Don't you though? They yeah. suck. Yeah. Anyways, so I saw this minute thirty second trailer and. I like it is just starkly exactly what everyone has described. Yeah, and I'm I'm blown away that it's exactly that because it honestly does feel like ET in an updated version with a more the scene that you saw probably plot. with the well uh, it's it's, a, it's like a trailer with, so with it's the route but... with the van yeah, you I, see a I, van I, flipping I, I, I saw it once so yeah I, I, that's I, the ET scene okay that's the ET moon scene. it's just the feel of it it's it has a Spielberg it's got that feel Amblin to it. entertainment vibe. yeah yeah. Definitely. And it, and it's and it's even I mentioned this to Nick. It has that Quentin Tarantino font uh, used for the text, which is really kind of weird. I, you know, someone said even not only it's the Tarantino font, but that also may be coming from the old Stephen King, Peter Straub. That's uh, definitely yeah, uh, a uh, type of uh, paperbacks. I think, I think the so. actual inspiration. Yeah. Is from, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I can't uh, remember the font type, but that is actually the same font type. Uh, I was going to say, but you know, but going into season two, though, you know, will the 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 grip of nostalgia? You know, I mean, that's where they're going to have to really try to find something fresher Maybe. because you're not going to be like. Oh yeah, that's from they have to become Golden Child. You know, like I mean, how many '80s references are there? Are they gonna be? Like so, Maybe. that that I don't know that they're going to be able to wring that much out of it. So, mm-hmm. which is a great challenge to have, you know, as a filmmaker. They should take a page out of the playbook for Max Men, and they should just skip to the '90s when the next season comes. No, that would be idea. that would be. That would be curious. I, I really enjoyed the uh, performance by the sheriff. Uh, I yeah. really thought he had a nice. I, I thought that was well done. Like um, the other, uh, I, I was just going through my DVR again, mm-hmm. and uh, I just, I, it's I can't get rid of this. But the raid too. Uh, oh, oh. The raid two is the shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I fucks I, with just, that film. I, I have to oh, revisit. Right it's so, film, I mean, you were you, you brought up the word cathartic earlier. I mean, yeah. that movie just makes you feel good after. How you watch about it. that? Just elongated ten minute hand to hand combat scene towards the end of the film in the, in the kitchen? kitchen. In the kitchen. God damn, I love that. <laughs> it's just the wine it's cellar. Gritty. Yeah, it's great. I mean, everything about it. And I remember this. You had mentioned this on the uh, Force Awakens uh, episode, which is what a farce that they brought in the guys from <laughs> ah, that yeah, to yeah. serve no fun. At all, I mean that was, I mean unless they were again placating the that international was JJ audience. Abrams pissing on my face because that was just a disgrace. I'm sorry. You think I'm gonna do that for? Here's um, the thing too. If men, they had plenty of opportunity there for them to have an action sequence. I mean, and they just they took just a pass threw on one it. One punch, just, I would just at least say, well, that was cheap. But like, hey, at least what they, was the point? Yeah, like, what? like. You see somebody uh, like Tony Jaa included in Furious 7 and that, actually has that, that glorious scene that gets up. paid off in actually two scenes. I was going to say he has two great two sequences. Two really – well, the one that's really good I think and then the other they're, – yeah. they're both good. But yeah. you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everyone prefers whatever. Right, right, right. But there's nothing there yeah. from the oh. scene This is like, TFS. oh, hi. We don't know what we're supposed to be – oh, there's an alien we're eating. Which – I didn't get, like, because when they have the no. setup for it, I was like, okay, they're going to fight through these big alien things, and there's going to be this big scene, and then they just get eaten, and that's But it. this is what's so ridiculous <laughs> about their Agreed. casting of it. I mean, outside of real cinephiles that would be able to, like, say, ah, it's the dudes from The Raid 2, right? Like, they would – so you're disappointing them. Yep. Because they're not even you. So the people that would have been happy have been completely cut out of that. And then – Anyone else would be like, oh, there's just the two fuck guys. Are those? Yeah, like, oh, those two guys. Like, they, they could have been someone they pulled off the street. Here, and that is what I just don't understand about the casting of that. Here's so, the other thing. Uh, this is from the mind of J.J. Abrams, so to speak. And even Star Trek, the first Star Trek, had no reason but whatever to have John Show uh, have a sword and have a sword fight on the ship or whatever. Isn't there a scene in there, right? Well, he's... He, I mean that is. I actually. You, you don't film? like that scene? No, no, I like that scene. I was gonna say, but I'm saying like, there's scene. no rhyme or reason. It is so. No, well, he non- is, he's he. I'm saying as far as they are setup. looking for people who have combat experience, right. which nobody has except for him who has fencing experience. So that's the yeah. other thing, though, is that like to look at the the, the history of what J.J. Abrams has done with like the first installment of rebooting. Like I really. Even if it would be like a carbon copy, I was like, you've done it once before. Like, how did you? I don't know. How did you miss this badly? It what are you talking no about sense. with fencing? Is that from the first Star Trek film? Well, the very first one. It is. A, it is him, in which him and Kirk are on the... He has a sword the, for no reason. With Sulu? No. Sulu has... Yeah. Uh, 
There's a reason why Sulu probably... First okay. of all, according to the news, his name is Gay Sulu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm sorry. Uh, so, anyways... That is true. They are on the... Uh, they're on the... Enterprise. The tether slash cord mm-hmm. that is destroying Vulcan at uh-huh. the time that is being dropped by Nero, who is played by Eric Bana in the first film. Yeah, those are oh, a bunch of names yeah. I have no idea oh. what the fuck they're about. <laughs> well, that's... Photographic I'm Nero. That's My impressive. name's Eric Banner, and I drive Banner? the... Banner? Banner? <laughs> the, behemoth, the behemoth in order to destroy Vulcan. Fucking Ron like, Universe, man. Come on. Come on. Get out of here. So anyway, I, ju- I did just watch this three weeks ago, so there is oh, okay. a reason why I remember these names. Okay. Nerd! Shut the fuck up. So anyways... But there, there is a whole backstory to why he has okay. a sword. All I'm so. saying is, like they, they, they pull that out of thin air as far as like script writing wise, because that just yeah. doesn't usually have a place in the Star sure. Trek universe. That's and, and I'm not saying about the bad. There was thing. a way to get Sulu fighting. It's um, a, right, right. On this it's a reference saying, to the original Star Trek series where Star he did Wars actually. is a place in which, especially hand to hand combat, at least like uh, lightsaber, has always been a thing. And you still can't get the raid uh, people to do it. So. Yeah, we even got fucking eighty-five-year-old Christopher. Uh, what's his name to have a fight, a, sword, a lightsaber fight? Lee. Christopher Lee. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Right. He fought yeah. against Yoda. Oh boy, did he? And we can't get these guys to do anything now. So. Yeah, that was. Yeah. Maybe so. they're going to be in Rogue One. Maybe maybe it was like a backdoor. <laughs> maybe no, it was a backdoor uh, setup. They're dead. I, I, that was the end of their story, but we haven't seen the beginning. Yeah, I, I just I can't recommend. I mean, just the raid two is so it's much great. fun, and it's just it and and I think it's I think it's actually a really good crime story too. I mean, the kung fu alone and the the fighting is so amazing, but then just there's a really gritty crime part of it that's really and just even that 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 terrible son and like how awful he is. Oh, this is great. The cinematography yeah. where it like zooms in, like there's this. Uh, chase scene where it zooms into oh. the into the what would oh, that be car the, chase. the, the trap the passenger oh, side and then it comes God. out of the end yeah. of, of the other windows like you actually see the making of it where like the person yeah. is like laid down yeah. as an actual oh, seat just just to let Paul Greengrass know even though I love Paul Greengrass that's how you do a fast, high-cutting scene. Yes, yes. That scene. amen. I mean, that was scene. But even like uh, just the, the the transition. So, um, uh, help me out with the actor. The he's, he looked like he was older. He had the long hair and the machete. Who who got attacked in the nightclub? Uh, I forget. That so, oh, he was the same guy who played in the original film, but he's yeah. a different character. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yes. So, even that, though you could totally fan fiction that they're the same characters. Ah, oh, fuck it. So the scene, <laughs> the scene when he was finally attacked, where he had the meeting with the the terrible yeah. son. And he's like, I go to the bathroom, and he kind of had that look like, no, that's kind of fishy, but I'm just gonna. Like, and then he just, he uh, he looks down, and then he's not really thinking about it. He kind of gets lost in his own thoughts, and then he looks up, and the whole club is like, uh, like that. That was brilliant. I mean, just the fact that he, you know that he's working out his own stuff, but then that cost him to that, slip. That scene, and that, yeah, that's also probably my favorite passage in the whole yeah. movie. That scene also, that scene also ends with one of in the. the alleyway. Oh, Yes, one of the ways to get to my heart, which is blood in snow. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. just, you should yeah. watch, Lady Snowblood. Okay. <laughs> that is the uh, <laughs> that's, just, that's literally in the name. Literally, no, it's, it's the inspiration <laughs> that uh, Tarantino drew from oh. uh, for Kill Bill. Oh, uh, wow. it's quite okay. literally about a uh, lady uh, samurai who goes around wow. slashing people up, uh, and obviously snow is involved. That's the whole mm. you know the final fight between Lucy Liu and uh, yeah. Beatrix. It's like that's Lady Snowblood, basically. Hmm. I also there are small little things. It, it's uh it's weird, but 
some parts of the raid two had this weird sort of eighties vibe to them. Mm-hmm. Like I felt a, a weird connection between that and Scarface, which yeah, there, yeah, there shouldn't there, have yeah. been, but it was yeah. there big time yeah. for me at least. Yeah. And uh, man, there are just so many things to like the the the, um, the fight scene in the prison yard. Oh, oh man, that's so good! Even Fantastic. the tiny one in the uh, prison bathroom mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, I, like when we first went and saw it, and I genuinely am like, "Is this really going to be even anywhere near the first movie?" Because I genuinely love the first movie. Uh, and when we saw that, that was like announcing yourself to the world. When you, you just hear that, like the rhythmic pounding of the feet, and the screw comes out. Yep. Oh, I'm like, so oh, great. That is just what, a way. what I like about the raid too, and this is a fun story for me at least, is that me and Nick went to go to the theater to see this. That like, is the, fun. So the, jealous. The, the, oh. the one week it was out in the theater in yeah. Evanston, like it wasn't hardly anywhere. Evanston is a bitch to get to. I mean, it, it, it is. is. Yeah. It takes forever. Yeah. And oh, Dempster forever. It's for like, yes, yes. We, oh we, man, good Illinois yeah. humor over here. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what we need. We've yeah. we've adopted the making a day out of it, where we yeah. see two or three films there. Because if we're gonna go, we're gonna make it count. Oh, we are. Yeah, for sure. And they took the Buffalo Wild Wings away because they hate us. You might so. want to check out. Uh, there's just speaking of breweries, Temperance Brewery is I've heard of very that. good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I've check heard it of out. That. They're in Evanston. So, They're very so good. Have to do that. The yes. other nice thing though about the Evanston Theater is they have a bar, which is which is great. You can bring beer and and and. <laughs> the Raid 2 was the last film we saw on this particular day. We both walked straight to the bar after seeing it, and we both, uh, even though I think our opinions went down a little bit yeah. afterwards, but yeah. in the immediate aftermath of seeing it, just... both looked at each other and went, well, that was fucking awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. no yeah. way to leave that theater and just, just not charged. be blown away. Yeah. And not to mention, that was the day, just to give even more context, we... For a cinephile like myself, we saw Under the Skin and The Raid too. Like it doesn't really get much better. Under that. the Skin is such a wild card movie because there are so many parts of that that are just mind. Even if you dislike the, it's a great experience. Yeah. I think. So I, I was the this the Scarlett Johansson yes. one? Okay, it's yeah. the one where she's whoa, whoa. We are not that kind of podcast. Okay, now stop that. Stop it right she's now. She's like an alien and she's like a man-eater type thing. Or, I'm, help is me she a man-eater? Yes. She happens she to show her, show her boobs in it as well. Alex, did you even watch the movie? Yes! <laughs> I did. I, no, I did. The, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, just the like the men in that movie. Well, anyways, uh, which, which is a great, um, yeah, great comment on the actual text of the film. <laughs> but... The the final fifteen minutes of that film are just fucking out of control. Yeah, and there was also really just under your skin. I mean, son of a bitch. <sighs> there is also Lord. an absolutely fantastic scene, and it doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. So I don't think it's really spoiling that much. Doesn't really have a plot. No, not really. Okay. Um, there's a family on a beach, and yeah. they they have a small baby who's like oh. maybe like six months. Oh yeah, I was gonna say Brian, don't watch it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, she comes in, and let's just say she claims the adults, and decides to uh, you know kind of kind of leave the baby there. Um, so we move off of that, and it's over for like I don't know, like five to ten minutes. It's a good ten minutes. Yeah. yeah, and then there's just a quick. Quick cutback to the scene later that evening with the baby just laying there on the beach with nothing there uh, and just crying. Uh, oh man, it gets you. It's disturbing. Like when, when it cut oh, oh, when it cuts to that, I was like, yeah. 
Can you imagine if there's just like a, like you just see like a couple dogs running <laughs> towards on the beach? That'd be it, the end of it. it so. There are, I will yeah. admit, I don't get squeamish or anything for the most part about anything in cinema. But I will no. admit, babies will do that. Which, and I'm not trying to get off on another tangent, but just uh, Alex backed me up. The scene in uh, Mammal, the movie we saw at Sundance, yeah. in which a baby in a stroller. Oh, like oh, it's just a very oh. one second yeah. scene or whatever. But and, and it's obviously it's so fake as far as it's not clearly what is happening on screen. Yeah. It's Horrible, not though. Happening in real life, yeah. but yeah. when it happens, it's just like it just. Uh, yeah. yeah. Every every nurture bone since, in your body. Yeah. Since we've already yeah. just destroyed the under the skin part, I think we should comment on this one, yeah. which is there's this mother who's not a good mother yeah. who mm-hmm. leaves the baby unattended in, in a stroller. In, in a stroller, and is it it is a dog? I can't remember. No, a cat. A cat. That's why it's even creepier because I and yeah. maybe I'm a dog person, mm-hmm. even though I love cats. But cats, you cannot. It, so it's a stray cat that. Um, comes up and just pretty much starts attacking the child with nobody Whoa. there. Well, it's creepy because of the yeah. way the camera approaches it. We don't know that that's happening, but then when the main character approaches the stroller because she sees a stroller a bloody abandoned, baby, right? all uh. of a sudden, no, no, she doesn't see anything, but uh. all of a sudden a cat, no, no, meows and then jumps okay. off and then the baby starts crying. Okay. So when she comes yeah. around to and the end, she reveals. sees that the cat had been you right. know, pawing at it or something. I was going to say, we don't see any, I thought I remember seeing scars on the baby No, you something. do after okay. the whole ordeal, okay. Okay. but you're not seeing a cat like <laughs> still i, th- oh, I think yeah, that's yeah. actually more effective I than agree. actually seeing it yeah. that's what i mean like it just it just it's yeah. not good it's amazing no. how that how your imagination can backfill and be yeah. that much more horrific than actually going through say, the whole thing oh yeah give me solo yeah. of people eating shit and uh and having non-consensual sex but uh that if you do anything to a baby even if it's a, a cat scratching it's just no. not oh, cool that is the random uh one of the most uh, one of the least tasteful things I can remember in ev- any movie came from the horrible Gavin O'Connor film Pride and Glory, which oh, starred Edward man. Norton and Colin Farrell. I watched that movie a lot when that came out. Did you because really? Because I loved Edward Norton. And yeah, that, and that was, I'm not cla- it was good. That was like classic Edward Norton, too, because he had the goatee, he had yep. that fucking bad attitude that he had back in the glory days. That film featured Colin Farrell sticking an iron over a baby's face. Yes! And I oh, was I like, that. how the fuck is this even happening oh, man. right now? I gotta wow. rewatch that. <laughs> I, no, but that was during my like Edward Norton is God phase. So <laughs> I, I was a big fan of that. But I am, I do remember that. I remember watching that and going, what the fuck is happening? No like, wonder how- I watched it a lot. That's, oh, man. You're That's a terrible. horrible person. Oh. I didn't say I was him. <laughs> Uh, the, just one more that I, uh, yeah. I actually got from uh, Netflix. I don't remember how I came across this. This must have been something that I, I don't know if it was recommended on the news feed or saw it on, on uh, Twitter or something, uh, called Embrace the Serpent. Oh, and, really? Uh, that played at Sundance. Yeah. Yeah. And it good. won the Alfred P. Sloan Prize, which is a prize that makes no sense. Did you guys, did no you guys see it? No, we didn't. I mean, I got about halfway through it last night, and I just I was like, no, I need to concentrate on this. But even like my son was watching it with me. He's like, Dad, let's stop this, because I really want to watch this. You know, it's And it's a tough movie, right? So I just want to make sure. It's not a documentary, right? No, it's, it's not. Okay. Yeah, so yes. it's not. It, I mean, it, it, you would, from the still shots. I was going to say, from the still, it looked, but then everything I read about it. No. Okay. And and so the, you know the premise of this movie is that there's a um, I guess he's kind of like an intrepid um, maybe a botanist or sociologist and he's become ill and he's gone to a guy who's I don't know if he's kind of a reclusive shaman type you know in my rewatching of this I'll I'll be able to kind of sort that out but uh, they he needs to you know get this guy to bring him to this other tribe. 
that's down river and the guy's like that tribe's been gone you know he's like no no they're alive so it's their journey down the river and they've come across a couple different tribes this this one scene in particular is so tough to watch because it, it takes you out of what it means to be like American or to be just you know like all these things that we 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 talk about and it was a scene where one of the other natives who's helping this um uh the man and then there's the, the other guy who has no clothing on and the other guy who's been kind of so, who looks visually assimilated so that's always a source of tension between the native and the other one cuz he's wearing the clothes of the whites yep. and so there's a tension there well he, they come across what appears to be I don't know it looked like it was a cemetery and um and it in the cemetery someone else has tapped the trees for rubber and it, and now he's made it's now he's ruined this very sacred ground so the guy's flipping out he's taking these like these um these little buckets of rubber and he's kicking them all over and then all of a sudden you hear this guy like stop stop you know he's coming from the bushes this guy's got scars all over his face he's got he's missing an arm and and he's frantic like what have you done like this is what i need to live and he's living in this type of fear of these rubber um planters that are like this is what you need to give to us or we're gonna beat the shit out of you and you're like uh yeah that's that those awful third world misery stories that are that you we we forget are might be more common than we give you know a reference to and that was like one of those scenes where like you just kind of get woken up again about like what's what are what are some of the uh the realities that are occurring that was uh so and there's so many uh more as it going so right now i'm really enjoying it was so. that on netflix instant or disc i got it on disc okay so yeah yeah okay. just, i think it just came out so yeah yeah so oh. doing that Something to look forward to. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. that was a, a film that I saw advertised many times because there was a pretty recognizable poster. I want to yeah, say, yeah, the black and white yep. image. Of the, and it, yeah, it's shot in black yep. and white. Yeah, yeah, so. it's uh, yeah, and that one that Alfred P. Sloan Prize, which I, is something that it won before the actual festival, right? I well, yeah, because what happens is I actually talked to a writer really quickly oh, just yeah. to bring it up. Please, wasn't uh, there a film that I loved that we watched earlier this year that won that called Another Earth? Like yeah, that one, I believe ago, that one as well. Which I, I thought was a fabulous film. Yeah. Uh, but it has there's some weird stipulations so for that, right? I talked to a writer uh, by the name of Alex Heaney, uh, who writes for uh, Seventh Row, I believe is the name of the website. Okay. Which is a very, uh, it's, it's, it's completely uh, female-oriented, whether and as far as female cinema and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But they... She reviews other stuff as well, and that this festival she was basically going to uh, investigate what this Alfred P. Sloan Prize is because of the fact that all it says, as far as like the description of what the prize is, that a film that deals with science and technology, like it, like it, hmm. it doesn't get more base than. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it all started in two thousand four. The first person or first film to win it was Primer. Okay. Now. If you look at all the winners, and I, I'm going to blank on which one is one and whatnot, but, like, it, it becomes ludicrous as to, like, why the same, like, a movie like Primer and a movie like 
some other movie, shall we say, could win the same award because it it is so broad and is so and so she actually went and she uh, investigated and kind of asked a lot of the judges and most of them said they 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 never were really given any instructions <laughs> as to why one should win. Right. So and like none of them could give a straight answer as to uh, what the Alfred P. Sloan Prize means, other than just does this movie have science in it? I have to say, um, just from my very small experience with the films that have won that I've seen primer I've seen another earth and I really enjoy both of them and think they bring something new and unique to the table that definitely fits in the Sundance kind of film mantra. But um, yeah, when you have uh, an entire award that's given where people who are voting for it don't even know necessarily what they're voting for, that's always a cause for concern. I think I that's think. something that I have uh, as a piece of artwork in my room, which is uh, in my classroom, which is uh, it says something. It's just a bunch of like the laurels around. It's like just because it's surrounded in laurels doesn't mean it's worth anything. You know, yeah. it's like, it is. It's become this this. Um, amazing shield for like what you know, it which should be like it must mean quality because it's surrounded around that. So it's cool that she investigated that. Not enough people think critically about that. No, so. and that's actually I just really quickly want to point out that seventhrow.com is uh, not a feminist film site. Like I thought, I think that's her specialty. But just okay. so that way I don't misquote what she's doing. Uh, but the site is a multidisciplinary film and theater criticism site. Cool. So anyway, just didn't want to be wrong. Well, good for you. I try. You are the one person out there who doesn't, who actually cares about what I, they're saying. I care. So. <laughs> All right, guys. Moving on to our main review this week, and Woo-hoo! that is of Ghostbusters. The, yeah, let's talk about that again. Oh. You know who really like Ghostbusters, Kenny. Kenny loved Ghostbusters. And yeah, that's and fine. Kenny. You know what? God bless him too, because I thought he him. probably wouldn't like it. So yeah. I'm glad he did. He made a special appearance today in our driveway. I know. He just showed up. Yeah. He had Spy. Uh, rented? No, he had the boss, didn't he? No, it's was spy. a spy. Okay, it's spy. Have you seen spy? It looked like huh? I did. Have see you seen spy? spy? No, I've not. It's fine. I thought it was great. Jason Statham, what a yeah, what a guy. Funny. <laughs> Jason Statham, that that opening scene in Furious Seven is just. Still, if you like that opening scene, Spy is like that times twenty. Really, like, he's just crazy in this. Ah. Yeah, so. Spy is actually. Surprised. I mean, it was yeah. like just rotting on the couch in February and it was on cable and I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. It was, yeah, I agree. Good. I remember yeah. when I went with Kenny to see uh, Chappie for a second time and seeing that Spy was in the opposite theater and thinking, oh, that probably sucks. So obviously I was wrong. Yeah, you made the right choice. <laughs> it was for the podcast, man. Come on. So anyways, uh, this is the fifth film in the Jason Bourne cinematic universe. Well... Is I, I never saw the fourth one. Does, I didn't. Has either. anybody seen the fourth one? The one with Jeremy Renner? No. Uh, bits. It was on okay. cable once. So it, yeah. it has the Forget name. It. Yeah. So it's that that same kind of film. But I was just curious if that actually tied into the mythology, but I don't care. I think it kind of has to in some way, but I, I don't know how. So I actually never seen it. Neither. So okay. um, I'm not sure. Anyways, Matt Damon returns as does Paul Greengrass. And a bunch of other people who um, this film claims uh, Jason Bourne knows, yet he doesn't know any of them because he has amnesia. And also, we don't know any of them because we've never Wait, seen any of them what? before. What do you mean? Like, 
Tommy Lee Jones character he's and the CIA director. Like he's he's okay. We've we've never seen him before. We've never right? seen him, but a lot of I mean at least some other character like Julius Dials. He knows. Yes, like, okay, that's true. But there are, like, there are specific oh. references. Yeah, where to, was Tommy Lee Jones hidden in the other? There, there, there are specific right? references the to Master. CIA director <laughs> Robert Dewey and also Vincent Cassell's character of the asset that are were major players in previous. Uh, installments that we didn't know about that he also didn't know about and it's just kind of a weird thing anyways though uh this film basically centers around jason Bourne becoming relevant again in in no no no, no. hold on is just, he just, just just back up just a second here jason Bourne as a person becoming relevant again and coming out of hiding as he uh has been lured back by julia styles character of Nikki Parsons. They just keep on pulling him back in. Yeah, man, just like Al Pacino. Yeah. So, anyways, and he finds a way to come back to the United States eventually and uh, is drawn out uh, by un- and uncovers truths of his past in this sort of film. Anyways, this, this sort film, of film. Yeah, this film stars Matt Damon, obviously. Matt and Damon. Tommy Lee Jones, uh, Alicia Vikander, who shows up in a somewhat interesting role that I actually quite enjoyed. Also, Vincent Cassell, Julia Stiles, Riz Ahmad, uh, also Bill Camp, who's also in that series The Night Of with Riz Ahmad, which is something. Yeah. And some other people show up along the way as well. I know who I am. Finish with you, you'll no longer be yourself. I remember. I remember everything. Remembering everything doesn't mean you know everything. Tell me. You've just been hacked. Could be worse than Snowden. Facial recognition got a hit. Jesus Christ, that's Jason Bourne. Why would he come back now? There's a demonstration in front of the Greek Parliament building. I think she'll use it as cover. They tracked you. We gotta move. He knows things. What if he's not coming for us? What if it's something else? I volunteered because of a lie. This is Jason Bourne. I need to talk. 32 kills. People are safer because of what you did. This is an interesting film that's been met with quite a bit of criticism by critics and fans alike. 
and at the same time, there are a whole legion of people that love this movie. So let's find out what these four people <laughs> think about it here on Film Tank. Who would like to start us off? I'll, I'll go. S- oh, oh Tucson, I'm so sorry. Tucson, Tucson said it first. Please, go yes. First. That's yeah. okay. Um, I have a vested history with the Bourne series simply because like, this is one of those series that I would always go with my dad to see the newest installment. Shocking. Well, no, not, not because it's bad, because this is something that we bonded over because we enjoyed it. Like, we enjoyed watching the Bourne films together. We enjoyed watching Matt Damon. Say Bourne or porn? Bourne. Okay, wow. Sure. Bourne. You know what I was saying, jackass. Anyway. Um, I have and, hearing and basically, I don't know what you were I'm sorry, friend. <laughs> All right. So, Bourne's <sighs> basically going around, like, being amnesiac, uh, being very capable of what he does, He's working as, like, a former black ops agent, and just... It, it, it's fun to see this this new age MacGyver just like finding new inventive ways to beat the shit out of somebody with every new installment. What's he gonna do this time? Is it a pen? Is he gonna use that like wasn't a, the first one? That was the Come first on. one. I know that was the first one. I was like, what's the next one he gonna do? Is he gonna use a book? He's like, oh, what's the next one? Is he gonna use a fucking towel? It's like that was amazing. He's gonna use a gun. No, well, in this one, yes. No, he's he, evolved. No. He, <laughs> He just used a a, a, a a cheap IKEA chair leg, which I thought was just sort of or yeah. like the little teapot at the end. He was just kicking ass with that was pretty yeah, fun. Yeah, that was my my general feeling about this film is like when I when I walked out of it, my dad asked me, he was like, so did you like it?" I was like, "I really liked it," and I just turned to mom, just like. I would not stand in line for that. There is no room in life for this. I was like, it's just, a, it's just. Wow, Jesus Christ! Did you go slit your wrists after saying that? No, I was literally Jesus. making fun of the fact that, like, you know, it's the Moby song, like where it's like That's strange fine. ways. So I was like, I would stand in line for this. There's always room in life for this. Like, no, there isn't. Oh. I just thought this film was redundant. What did your dad have to say? She's still talking to you? Yeah, it's like oh, it's like my my dad was just like, "Oh, I thought I was okay, so you're being way too hard on." I was like, "No, I think I'm just being Truth. Just No, hard. dad, you're just an idiot." No, I was Is that what you said? I'm well, sorry. You, no. You did not appreciate that scene where his car lands on top of the fucking truck that Vincent Cassell is driving down Las Vegas Boulevard and they drive into the Riviera Marquee in front of the entrance? Look, you didn't like that? Look, to that, be fair, look, that was Vegas like made is, for you and yeah! nobody else. Vegas is, oh, is your realm and so that's going to like resonate with you in particular but like... There I've was, got thoughts on that. There were First of all, the Riviera is not even open. There were two the many things of, in this film that As I of today, which is August the 3rd, do it for me. has completely been leveled. So yeah. just to let you know, so this it's makes gone. no oh, so sense. Were they, so they destroyed it knowing that within a week it was going to get no, leveled. No, so here, here's what happened. Okay, just me, who's yes. big into Las Vegas mm-hmm. uh-huh. and Las Vegas history and current. Oh, you events, mean the whatever. town, not the NBC TV show? Yes, Nick. I actually, still, I, I you did, do like I that. Did show. Enjoy yeah, yeah, you it's do. James Conn playing a that is true. Kind of, that is a good cast. Now. Anyway, I mean, it's not necessarily good, but it's Ooh. it's entertaining if you if you're looking for something. I'm just asshole. So, anyways, <laughs> the the story behind the Riviera is it closed. And it was scheduled to be completely demolished. They had not turned the lights on in it. In like, ooh, that was fun. I think uh, one of the uh, smoke, detectors? yeah, smoke detectors battery died. So that's great. We're gonna it makes die. for good podcasting. Anyways, so they had turned the lights off. The Riviera had closed. They were going to implode it. All of that happened. And this scene in its entirety, I don't know how the entire film came up came about. 
But this scene was was filmed and completely conceived a very short time ago. I'm talking somewhere in the neighborhood of February this year. Yeah. So only like four to five months ago that this whole scene come together. Wow. And it really is because they were able to have this unprecedented amount of excess of being able to physically and actually drive these cars into the Riviera entrance because it was closed. Ah, oh, interesting. They could okay. just destroy the inside of it for and have no repercussions whatsoever. I, I got to say, that was really crossing my mind. I'm like, how would they tolerate any loss of business? Well, you know, that, that's, I, that's the that thing, was, and that's why yeah. people who are big into Las Vegas and Las Vegas history were like blown away that this actually yeah. happened. Because they actually had to turn all the electricity back on for oh, the Riviera to turn wow. on the casino, yeah. actually the slot That's machine, so and have actually have people inside and yeah. turn the outside lights on, and like right before it was scheduled to be demolished. That's so cool. And they had this whole scene happen, and that also includes the huge crash that actually happened yeah. right in front of the Bellagio on Las Vegas Boulevard, which actually happened, and it. It's one of those things where I talked about this with Nick is that that scene has lots of things that you could look at it from an action standpoint and and have complaints about it because there are things about it that make no sense. None. But at the same yes. time, you have this huge actual car crash happening in the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard. So it has all the red meat that you would need for I, that scene. I, mean, I think I so. Get it. You're, right. You're right. Yeah. So. And even if there are complaints about it and things that you can look at and say, wait a minute, they just had a... 12-minute car chase in a matter of eight-tenths of a mile. How did that, how did that happen? <laughs> it didn't. That's yeah. right. They just kept going back to the start and starting over, and it, yeah. it makes no sense. But at the same time, realistically, it still turned out pretty good, I think. So, I don't know. Back to Tucson. Uh, yeah, no, I don't have any more thoughts on it because no? I just kind of like lost the train on that. Like, there's a lot of shit that I we had to don't knock like. The bleach out of his mouth he's about to take down. Because yeah, it was such I, a I bad, just bad experience. I just didn't really. I I I guess I'll I'll go more in, in depth with some things. Like the reason why this film takes place at least like it, it's filmed nine years after the fact of the last Bourne film, which was in like 2007, <laughs> and there's already been like press about like why Matt Damon and Paul Greengrass have can't come back. And I was just like, you know, we didn't want to come back unless like there's a really important story we <laughs> want to talk about. Yeah. And I was like, I guess we'll just talk about like surveillance and like privacy and other things like that. Which and means they haven't seen a movie in the last three years. I know, right? Because um, this is pretty. A, it's pretty standard in, in that way, and that I think that it's very basic. That I cannot believe that they still fall on the the tired ass tropes of these quick time file like animated hacking like like, like hacking animations. What was that it, tweet it, I sent out? It was the one that said like tracking, uh, tracking algorithm, algorithm yeah. initiates yeah, tra- <laughs> tracking <laughs> algorithm encry- encryption in, in bold letters and I'm just like I don't know how you believe that you can get away with this in a post Mr. Robot world or a post girl with the dragon tattoo uh, world and Black I'm just like, Hat is clearly the gold standard of <laughs> hacker movies I haven't seen Black <laughs> Hat so I can't really speak to that but like Thor out, out, out of those out of those two like I don't know how the fuck do you think you can actually like continue to do that. Did I, you at least like the scene that was I thought very tense in which Matt Damon had to write up a Hello World program before the uh, <laughs> before 
I honest to God do not remember that. That was a joke because that's the thing they first teach you. I, I would. Oh, okay. I think programming class. I think though that you're right. Which is which is it? Are, are we living in a place where you are incapable of escaping the grid? So we're to believe that he was able to float, bounce around on a fight circuit in the Albanian border of Greece, and she was able to find him exactly. So like, like what what were the, what were the instruments that? Keep on finding him and, and all that, but then at the same time he is making his way from Greece to London and all these places, and really not trying to disguise himself as he's taking Made these his way major into fucking Washington. Yeah, I mean he's 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 not even wearing a hat. He's not wearing he's not hooding up or anything like that. And I mean these are cities that have like London is notorious for having CCTV. the most of my, more cameras per block anywhere in the planet. So Vegas, I mean, so that's the part where. <laughs> You're asking us to to buy into a movie about surveillance, but you can't then ask me to suspend my disbelief that he's going to be walking around like just the way he is. Even, that's yeah, not that's I'll, not that's, there's an imbalance there. I'll tell you what. Even the uh, you talk about the surveillance aspect. I feel like this film, this particular film, even does it worse than a silly film like Shia LaBeouf's Eagle Eye. That <laughs> even though I didn't necessarily think that was a great film, I at least thought it's a lofty sort of yeah, goal who yeah. was trying to do at least try it a little and that harder. That was before the the reign of shall we say surveillance right. fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at least it made an attempt yeah. to try to be competent in that way, even if it failed. Eagle it, yeah. Eye has always struck me. I haven't seen the film. I've only seen like a couple of scenes from it. It struck me at least from the trailer and like hearing what the initial premise was as sort of a uh, post-millennium sort of derivative of war games only with surveillance instead of regular devastation. I've seen it. I actually really enjoyed it, which uh, I'm a bad guy, I guess. No, it's fine. No, I haven't um, seen it, so it's, you it, are. It, it feels like a film where a realistic version of Cyberdyne succeeded. Uh, uh, that that is the perfect way of describing it because I think I saw I don't know if I saw it or I saw Cyberdyne? most of it. Cyber Terminator, Terminator shit. Terminator. Yes, yeah, okay. the Terminator shit. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a really good. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how I describe it. Yeah, yeah. I, I gotta say that. Should I, I go guess? ahead? Okay. Go for it. Sure. I will say I I was not a fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't like. I'm not vehemently against it, but. Overall, I do think it misses the mark of a Jason Bourne entry, and I think that's partly what we're touching on now, which is that to center your movie around uh, surveillance, sci-fi, techno-thriller... As though just to center it on that topic... Yeah. Like elude, like like gives it profundity. Exactly. Just like, everyone else has fucking talked about this, like, just because you're... Like, like that whole... um, The company, the titular company inside of this, like, deep webs, like... That's what they're called. Deep, deep web, yeah. Dreams. Yeah. What yeah. is it dream, called? Like dream something deep. I think it's deep great. Dream. That, I think it's deep. great that nobody knows what this is. No, it, it, it's <laughs> called deep that's dream. That's how covert it is. It's called <laughs> deep dream. And it's never explained what it is, but it's, we, it, it's we're, we're, we're meant to, yeah. It's, it's basically supposed to be like the social media, like, like alternate universe version of Facebook. And basically the, the CEO, like, gives this impassioned in, in speech at the beginning of it about privacy and apps and, and integrations like apps integration user media content surveillance CIA collusion no way it's fucking see, stupid see Aziz, see Aziz and Zeri what he, he sounds like it was quite <laughs> as Aspergery as that but <laughs> fuck you I, well, I'm just, no I'm just saying like that's not exactly how it 
was depicted. Oh. I, I agree that it was certainly it was buzzy. Uh, it was unfortunately shorthanded for yeah. for what a. But I, I wouldn't. I guess I wouldn't fault this movie for that reason because I, I don't expect it to dive deep in the world of uh, consumer trading in that field. I, but what I do fault it for, and a reason why I was ultimately not on board for this entry in the Jason Bourne series, is that. Jason Bourne uh, as a film series, as a film franchise, has always, at least with the Matt Damon entries, because I've not seen the Jeremy Renner one, has always had this uh, air of a European art thriller to it, like in a way that American movies... I would uh, agree. Yeah, or don't, you know, and... And that has always been the appeal of it, and across all three movies that now, preceded are, are this. Are you talking about that there are parts of the plot that would maybe sometimes feel dull, where other yes. parts feel like over where the top? it tries to go yeah. truly into the bureaucracy behind uh, these? Like a very John Lacar. Like who do you trust? Yes, John Lacar in that cold world. Exactly. Like, what so appearances yes. are something, no, something are. more like Night Manager, which is John like Lacar. That. Yeah, yes. that's, right, that's what I'm yep. getting. At. Yep. Yeah, where sure. it feels like a John Lacar spy novel, and and we're we're truly trying to get into the logistics of how this kind of thing would happen and and especially uh, with a character who quite literally doesn't have a personality I mean he, he he's the antithetical James Bond because he doesn't get by on who he is he gets by on what he knows and that's where the tension comes in the original trilogy because he doesn't know quite as much as he wishes he did because he's trying to figure out everything yeah. uh, but here we have an entry that just because you know everything doesn't mean you understand everything <laughs> true but here we have an entry that's about 10 years too late because we're, we're, we're re-entering this franchise, which is all about the tension of, at least the original trilogy, was all about the tension of the amorality of who Jason Bourne, the character, was before he became the Jason Bourne that we're introduced to and the Jason Bourne that uh, evolves over the trilogy. So the more we find out about him... The less interesting he becomes, the less, the more he becomes a true pawn in the system, the more I'm less invested into whether Jason Bourne, the character, has some kind of an emotional arc. And so that part was kind of weak. But also, if you just take apart the fact that this movie quite literally retcons things that I, I haven't seen the original trilogy in quite some time, so I, I'm gonna. I feel like, like I haven't. I actually haven't ever sat down to see what is universally thought of as the best. I was gonna say one, which the, is the Born Ultimatum. Ultimatum is is the best one, and at least that's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you try to quiz me on it, I'm gonna lose because I'm not gonna be able to point to exactly what I'm trying to say. But I know for a fact that the the details that Jason Bourne learns in this movies, I, I wouldn't say directly contradict what came before, but overindulge in detail that weren't present at all before and kind of over explains and gets into well, how about how, how about this but how about this as yeah. as a plausible thing I mean, it's interesting because as an audience you kind of get sucked into thinking oh that makes sense which is like you know i think i think we're gonna bring him in and he'll want to <laughs> say is like you've just spent the last three movies trying to kill me but yeah. no all will be forgiven and I will then how, really do how things about for this? the patriotic yeah. part come on how about yeah. this one of my although he is probably I don't want to say my why are you f- going to yours huh I was going to say why don't you start off your uh... oh okay yeah please. I could do that yeah. really quickly I want to hit on okay. what I was going to quickly mention which uh, directly references Vincent Cassell's character of the asset, who, as someone who loves the Ocean series... I was going to say, he's playing the Night Fox for me. He is, and his interaction with Matt Damon in this film is kind of odd, which also was their interaction in the uh, films, the Ocean's films, especially in the final one. 
in, in obviously a different way, but still uh, is just as someone who say, knows those two actors from previous properties that this was just something for me that was just Was stole. he in 13? Was no, he's he, he, well, was yeah, he is in 13, too. Yes. yes. Um, he's a main he's character in 12. 12. Uh, but, but I he, will say, that's yeah. how you know this is a European art thriller franchise, because yeah. only Vincent Cancel could be a villain in a more European thriller uh, compared to an American, because that's exactly what Soderbergh uh, set out to make, basically, right. in 12. But, yeah. I, I can't get over just yeah. thinking of the two of them in this film, and then thinking of how they end the Ocean series with uh, him giving Vincent Cassell's character the fake diamonds and looking at him going, a gun? And him throwing the empty gun barrel at him is just, it's one of the most that, I will admit, that was distracting when I was watching this movie because all mm-hmm. I could think about uh, was him like getting on a plane and then walking up to Brad Pitt and saying, you know, I almost didn't come over, but <laughs> then, and then I'd still be sleeping. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so ultimately, giving my, giving my thoughts, I, for the most part, extremely enjoyed this film. Um, there are lots of things that are in this movie that are right up my alley as a personal film viewer. So I think that sort of sways my opinion of it because there are small little details that are things that I like in movies. Um, overall, the story here was nothing original. And um, there are a lot of times when I can see films that are are things that I like where, honestly, the story becomes inconsequential. Because I think this is a story that really wasn't consequential. Like, the, the, the story of this film was nothing original. Uh, the, the main characters that are just show up, like Tommy Lee Jones' character, is completely replaceable. Uh, brings almost nothing new to the story. And yet, I like the performances of almost everybody here. I love Vincent Cassell's actual character that he's playing. I love the idea of him just being this sort of grief obsessed um almost hitman who's who's playing this really weird character that yes he is an asset but he has this weird like side story happening it and i know he's not at all like this actor but sort of the the way that he was playing his character reminds me of something that walton goggins would do in a film where he's playing this side character as a another regular character at the same time and it's this this really weird mashup that for the most part, doesn't ultimately work. But for me, throughout most of the film, watching it from scene to scene does work for me. Um, Elisa Vikander, I li- really liked what she was doing. I feel like... I her- liked her performance. I did. I'll, I'll I, agree with you there. Yeah, her, her performance was good. Her, her her character was completely taken from last year's Mission Impossible Rogue Nation film for me personally because she's playing that both sides character that we've already seen. Even though it's good here... It's nothing new. That, I will say, is one of my problems with the movie. Is that I never got the idea that she was playing both sides. I got the idea that the script needed her to do whatever she, she would move the plot along. She's like I, new it girl. I, I was more confused than I was thinking it was ambiguous because... By the time, like, like the idea that the final scene comes and she's like all pissed off because Bourne was recording the conversation that revealed, yeah, that was that, that was a really, really lame. He made a Dana fool Ma. of me. It was, and so like, but I'm like, I don't understand because earlier you were helping him and you were helping him without the instruction of anybody else. So like, it, it just made no sense. Literally, I the, I have to say though, um, for for me personally yeah. though, this is through and through an action film, which is what I was signing up for, for mm-hmm. this particular entry, yeah. whether it be like the previous Bourne films, whether it be whatever, I was signing up for a Paul Greengrass 
um, minute to minute action thriller. And I feel like that's exactly what this film was, whether it be good, bad, otherwise. I got what I wanted because I love like the last 30 minutes of Captain Phillips. I love United 93. I love those Paul Greengrass moments that leave you on the edge of your seat. And I feel like this film at least had some of those, whether they be good or bad. Uh, I didn't particularly enjoy the fact of Nikki Parsons' character, um, Julia Stiles' character, Nikki Parsons, being killed off because I feel like Why that, is that? that kind of like it was a fridge trope. It feels like a fridge trope, and it also feels like a way of like them trying to do a soft reboot. When I when I say that, Lisa Vikander's character of Heather Lee is the new it girl. She's the new Bond girl. It's like the same way of like in the second film when. Um, uh, it really did feel like a kind of sorry newborn girl. Sorry about that. Yeah, born's a girl. No, I was gonna say it really felt like an icky passing of the torch of like right. You're no longer able to do this because you're a not popular popular enough, and b you're not as pretty as a someone who's 25 years old. But you're also the only remaining character from the original continuity that has any sort of like familiarity to the born character, and so this kind of like leads in born. Let me finish that born is being led into this like new world, and then she gets killed off. Like oh now I'm in the new water now, and I have to deal with Alicia Vikander. I really fucking hated the scene where he actually goes to um, Nikki Parsons. Uh, contact and basically makes him like stand against the wall and is like hacking and stuff and he's like do you not fucking see that he's next to those dumbbells over there do you think he's not gonna fucking like throw those at you and I'm just like oh he just did it's like you're really bad at your fucking job born like you're just getting you you fucking hacked you fucking hacked this computer with the blinds open that allows for people to actually like see in and stuff like that it's like what the fuck is your problem yeah. like like why are you so bad at Oh my God! Hold on, I, but, but I, could you could you forgive that? No. In, it, but, here, here, could you forgive that? <laughs> Thanks, say, like, here's a guy who is not in the training anymore. Like, is he? Would he be aware of the types of advancements hmm. of surveillance that he, he would think that they could have one of those cameras on the corner that, that would be the zooming qualities, and that I, he would know that, that they have the technology and a, and a phone that could melt what's on the, your hard drive. I think I, mean, I know. I, I think he does know what CCTV. is. Is like he may not know the the, the particulars of it. Also, that's been a nine remember, year no, gap. No, 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 nine year gap, and he was having an emotional like fatherly yeah, crisis. Yeah, he got replaced you know, by yeah. Jeremy Renner. Okay, I mean, so fucking come on, man. <laughs> okay, anyway, um, that whole cell phone thing is like the cell phone wasn't his. The cell phone belonged to the other guy, right? right? Mm-hmm. That guy is a shitty hacker. That guy is a shitty hacker who is who for some reason is. It, Oh my! I, that, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I was just like, "Why are you so bad at your job? Like, aren't you supposed to be like the mastermind of this whole like yeah. shit brick like movement in order to like get into the That's CIA fine. and shit?" We, we can all say this: uh, the scene when everyone's Matt, selectively Matt, dumb. The scene when Matt Damon shoots Vince Cassell through the air con- conditioning system was awesome. So that's all that really matters here mm. for me. <laughs> and I will say this about Julia Stiles. I think your and Nick points, Nick's points are for sure 100% valid. But I will say this. I don't remember seeing Julia Stiles in the last eight years in the cinema. And I was glad to see her again at least show up in something. Mm. So She she was given some really bad dialogue. And yeah. that, that scene was, was really not... I, I remember I was had to check myself as I was watching Before this Before you movie. wrecked yourself. Yeah, which is like, all right, so here's the first part of the movie... And I'm like, okay, I, I in my mind, I'm like, I'm gonna be on film tank. I, I start like watching this, so like, it's a I, lot of pressure. Are my are my are my knives a little bit too sharp? You know, on, and watching this this scene, Never. and then all of a sudden, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and right. but like, 
That was a horrible. Wow, that was we go. Now we were trying to high five, and then just got awkward. I wanted to give you options, and then we wanted to give you a lot of things we could have did anyway. But. I, I remember getting really grumpy after that, after that scene. Like, God, oh, that dialogue's so bad. And then, you know, I went through waves in this movie where I was like, I was like, I wasn't too crazy about that. Then all of a sudden, I completely forgot. I got totally wrapped into the action part. I totally Fuck forgot. Yeah. You all forgot the totally that- about the USB drive that had the tape on it that said encrypted. Because <laughs> <laughs> how are you going to know if it doesn't say <laughs> it on the side that it's encrypted? It could be family photos from 2006. <laughs> you, know, you just don't know. I mean, Shit. Like, keep these things uh, together. There's my I will say folder. this. I thought that there was a really. Um, this is what I, what I love about some smart filmmaking, though, it, which is this. In the. From a symbolic standpoint, to have that scene in the middle of a Greek protest, right, where you have – why are they protesting in Greece? Well, these are probably we as, a conce- as a consequence of austerity measures, you know, to get back to our really fun economic discussion from earlier yeah. in the, in the, in the uh, podcast, is that those very – the reasons why people are upset taking the streets and all that stuff – that's the type of thing that Jason Bourne, as a, an assassin, was keeping those economic policies and worldviews in place. So that's it's interesting that, that they could have that juxtaposition that he, because of his assassinations, kept the very power structure in place that allowed for those really these events to foment yeah. as they are in, in so many of these countries where you have really far right wing and far left wing taking in the streets. So yeah. I thought that was really clever to, to, to set it. In that uh, in that that moment, so I, I, I then all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. What did you think about, for me at least, my 100 percent favorite action scene of the of the year so far, which was the that scene you're talking about with all the sort of events happening in the mm-hmm. background and they are chasing each other through the streets and people are losing have you ever been each other. Have you been in Athens? I've not. It's it's a it's a tough city to go around. I mean like so like I mean the not fact for them. That, yeah, well I mean but yeah, <laughs> right, you know, but it is yeah. there's nothing that's like a grid like Chicago or you right. know it's a lot of like meandering streets and all that but stuff. There, so there it's are, almost like it's hundreds of thousands of years <laughs> yeah, old. They just kept on building. But yeah. but there is so much of of that scene of people trusting Movements throughout and small turns, quick cuts, and I will agree that there are points in this movie when the is insane cutting of Paul Greengrass doesn't work, especially the last scene, which I actually loved, but between the hand-to-hand fight between Vincent Cassell and Matt Damon, which yeah. is like, oh, here's 100 cuts in a 30-second scene. Yeah. But in this scene, I really feel like it actually serves a major purpose as you have this really tight-quartered scene that gets cut in multiple ways, and it, it really that. worked out. It blends and, together. It does, and it was just such a great chase fight scene that ends with that really bizarre moment with Vincent Cassell at at the rooftop. Oh, that's right, yeah. And and you also have that that kind of weird um, blending of Vincent Cassell working for the government and at the same time being chased by a different government at the same and it's just yeah, kind of and a, he's also his own man too like it, he's not going to exactly listen to I, I couldn't quite but I, get I, a full I personally really like that part of it because yeah he is playing a side but which side is it and is it only a side of what, what's benefiting at the time but, but the other part too is that you, the only way you know Jason Bourne is going to survive this is stupid random luck he yep. was going to get his brains blown 
doubt because he was in position to take that shot. So it was only Luckily, the randomness. Luckily, he had a woman of, to take the vote. Ah! Exactly right, right. So like you knew that that was the only way that that. So mm. it took some type of serendipitous event to allow that to happen because he was booked at that yeah, moment to be taken out. No doubt. Yeah, I, I, I gotta say, I I like the action in this movie. I do think it was a little too far and in between. It's not so much that I wanted it to be like like more and more and more type thing. But uh if you would have took out every scene that referenced Jason Bourne's father and like that whole history of the Treadstone project where it, the mythology starts to get like saw levels of up his own ass, which I like in Saw because I don't care about Saw. It's like, a bad horror I, series. Yeah, like I want yeah. Saw to be stupid whereas I want the Bourne series to be slightly smarter than Saw. Uh, so, like, every, like, instance of that scene, like, if you could have just put, like, a hand-to-hand combat scene instead, like, I would have been a little more on board, but because it was quite invested, and that was the ultimate reason why I, I'm just on the other side of the fence of just not being a fan of this movie, mm-hmm. because it is, I would say, pretty concerned with uh, the plot of, uh, shall we say, continuing the Jason Bourne uh, story, which both gets confusing uh, compared to the, the trilogy that came before it and also just kind of unnecessary. I mean, it literally becomes a daddy issue story, which is <laughs> kind of weird. Um, I, that's why I'm not a fan of it. But I do appreciate Paul Greengrass in general. I think he knows how to stage action. I think he knows... I mean, God, the the first half hour of this movie, I actually think it's pretty great. Yeah. And the way he can go from uh, every point of interest on Earth that is involved with his story, whether it be the CIA or where Jason Bourne is or where the asset is and vice versa, um, is fantastic cutting and a wonderfully, uh, shall we say, deliberate pacing that harkens back to like like almost like so- Soderbergh in, uh, as far as like what he can do with like traffic or something like that. The other thing that I, I think is always what draws me to Paul Greengrass as a director is he has this really I think just weird sixth sense way of knowing when to cut back and forth between people in a room just talking and the actual action that's happening in the scene there are a lot of great cuts in the earlier scene that I'm mentioning uh, of them riding riding the motorcycle and car chasing and all that cutting back to the CIA war room pretty much of them just having a discussion about what's occurring on the on the screen that we're seeing and they're watching the same thing in the, in the, in the kind of weird coverage they have, which whatever, which is cameras, I guess for the most part and other uh, assets wearing cameras uh, and GoPros, whatever you want to call it. But at the same time though, he's just a master of, of, of that kind of weird cutting between action and uh, suspenseful dialogue. He does it just terrifically in United 93 does it great in Captain Phillips yeah. and and that's what makes him in my opinion a great director for my personal taste which no, I, I think is I think I he's to... fantastic at staging action yeah. I, and I think you brought it up Alex but where I had a, at least a problem with this particular film was his DP and the way that it was edited because I do think there was too many sh- uh, cuts oh, and, and, and whatnot and, in the wrong spots too yes exactly especially because he is so good at what he does so he doesn't need that and like if, if things could have been slightly more elongated, uh, whether it would be uh, during the hand-to-hand combat scene between Vincent Cassell, or even a few shots, I would say, in the Vegas uh, car chase scene, uh, especially because it got a little monotonous. I think that went on a little too long. I thought there were some 
like literally yeah. golden shots and great moments. But uh, by the end of it, like I was happy that they ended on a quite a wonderful note. But I'm like, we did not need to spend as many minutes to get here because they weren't like doing anything that I would say was like on the level of the raid or like Fast and Furious when it comes to vehicular combat. As I mentioned too. There's this weird thing about deciding to use a mile stretch over the Las Vegas Strip for your 10-minute car chase scene that, Mm -hmm. uh, honestly, watching it the first time, somebody like me who knows pretty much everything about geography of Las Vegas Boulevard in that three-mile stretch, it's hard for me to watch that scene and go, they just made that exact same drive like five seconds ago. (laughs) And I feel like watching that a second or third time, it's going to be even more obvious because, wait a minute, they were starting off at the Aria, and now they're back by the MGM, which is a half mile the other direction from where they're driving right now. This doesn't make any sense. And then they, they, they literally drive the exact same 500 feet like six different times. And I mean, it's like, wait a minute. I, I, I and I'm admit, okay with it because there's, no, yeah. there's, there's not much they could do with it I was going to say, that's, and the, that's the other thing, too, is differentiating between the film's universe and the world universe. Yeah. Like, a film never yeah, takes place in, in the universe mm-hmm. that you exist in. Mm-hmm. So I can always be okay with that. It's just like what you choose to do with that mm-hmm. time. Uh, it didn't feel like it ever reached a level of like one upping itself that would have gotten me on board. Except for the... Just glorious drive through the Riviera entrance. Yeah. I mean, that was a way to end it for sure. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. fabulous. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, I, I kind of agree with you, at least for that four-minute scene, that that was a great climax to that scene. But there were parts like, do we really need to be driving through another parking garage? Because there was at least two of them. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was a little it was, Especially if you compare it to the motorcycle uh, chase in the very beginning. Which like, was fabulous. Uh, right. And very varied and uh, quite uh, a lot to draw from where that was enough to make me forget everything that came before. Like every time they, they made a new a decision, then I was like, okay, you know, whatever. Whereas uh, the Vegas scene just couldn't at least stop reminding me of what already came before. Well, we also had, um, and as I mentioned, it was great when he sh- when uh, Bourne shoots Vincent Cassell's asset character through the air conditioning vent. Oh, yeah. That part was cool. The lead up to that was not necessarily great. And what yeah. followed was kind of weird because the whole filing out through the crowd thing is way overdone. Yeah. And it was way overdone in this particular film. Like, using crowds as cover is... It's not original anymore. No, and, and they can... Oh, I was going to say, and it does require a type of, like... Com- I mean, so if Vincent Cancel, if he, if he is so concerned uh, as the asset to blend in with everyone, certainly taking a knife to the back of one's skull uh, which uh, of the police officer and then driving a car tank throughout, like, that's... You You were so clandestine prior to everything, now you can do the most conspicuous thing possible yeah. you know he could have because there are no video I, I, cameras I, I, like, it was room. one of those things I was like it was. I had no time this week to go see it so I had to go see a late show and my son's like can I go I'm like yes you know so I, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like God, I'm gonna, and like there's a moment I'm watching this I'm like I I am the worst father in the world like, I was like I, I, I am really the worst bad. father I really in the am world. this is <laughs> Everyone else's kid is like, you know, home, like, you know, sending prayers up. But even like (laughs) we were talking about it on the way home. Like, what did you think about that? He's like, that didn't make any sense. You know, like, yeah, he's like, that's really. That means you're the best father. Yeah. Yeah. Can we talk about this? What about the odd sort of use of Elisa Vikander's uh, storyline is she has this a little bit unusual hatred for Tommy Lee Jones, although it, it does kind of make sense. But then she ends up being the one who shoots him it's because not, Jason Bourne can't. It's Go ahead, Tucson. It's not a hatred. It's just like she 
like Tommy Lee Jones's character already like mentions her as like oh my protege is like she wants to be where he is, but she like, doesn't want to make the same moral decision that he does. Yeah, so but like, yet she, that's what it seems like. and I get that he's pointing a gun at Jason Bourne. She ends up being the one who shoots him because right. he has this weird uh, Christopher she, Nolan Batman sort of I can't kill people anymore thing going on. She can just pass it off onto Jason Bourne. And Jason Bourne literally falls on the sword, so he, to speak, he, for but her. But he, he can't actually do it, though? Like, that's the thing about it, that it had this weird storyline part for me, is that was the one moment of the film like, I mean, wait a minute. Lee Jones, are you going to shoot him? <laughs> I mean, he's a treasure. It, okay, so here's the weird thing. You, you, People in Japan love him. You, you have to, you cannot physically pull the trigger at him. She shows up, saves the day, shoots yep. him, and he falls on the sword like the Dark Knight in the Dark Knight saying, I can be the person, I can... I can be the one who killed you. You never people. saw anything. Yeah, you what weren't the fuck? here. Well, because he wants to be a nice guy, and like Alicia uh, character. And, yeah, and then he shits on her in the final scene of the movie. Though. Well, that's because well, she yeah, shits on him, <laughs> and it makes no sense. Well, that's yeah. because he had her under surveillance just to check to see if she was actually like full of shit or not, and it turns out she's full of shit. And if she's yeah, not I don't full know. Of but when she said that, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to take him out. I thought that was kind of like and I mean, could she kind of was rolling her eyes, and she felt like. She had to check she, the box to say yes. Of course, we'll bring him in. Like we'll kill him if like, she'll I, I, do I, I didn't whatever buy. she was, needs to do because she's already playing the game. She's like, you know, if you're not gonna, uh, if, if you're not gonna promote me, I know plenty of other agencies that would love to is, know uh, what I know. The, the problem with indeed. Can I ask a real question here? And what? this is this is gonna no maybe no come real off, questions. This is gonna maybe come off as silly, but oh. this is a legitimate question. Okay, right. let's hear it. Is Alicia Vikander's character in this film Veronica Corningstone from Anchorman? Okay, moving on. What? Oh no no wait 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 wait! wait. No. I want I want you to unpack that. I want you to unpack legitimate that. question. I don't. Okay. What? Go ahead. You want to? I want you to unpack what no. are you trying to okay. insinuate from that. So, for real though, is she a person who is doing what she needs to do to make her way as a female in the field she's in? I'm, I'm asking a I, real question. Okay. I, no, if you're okay, asking I, that, that's a real question. Yes. No, is she I, the I know Veronica exactly the scene you're talking about. The scene in which, you remember, she, she stuck her neck out. She's like, I have a different opinion. And she she was doing something that it would be really interesting to see if there was like, – I mean not that there's a, a world of like feminist scholars that are going after Jason Bourne here. But the, the dance that she did to try to at the same time assert herself but placate the soft ego of the, the patriarch of that system, she had to do. So I would, I would agree that there is something there that she had to um, – in order for her to exist in this hyper-masculinized uh, scenario – um, she had to at the same. She had to put herself out, but also make sure she didn't step on the dicks of anyone else that was in the room. And There's I thought that so was many gonna... dicks to trip over. Too many dicks on the dance floor. <laughs> Too many dicks. Yeah, that's know. a real song. It, 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 anyway, I, I, I'm not. I'll, I'm not realistically saying that. To your but, question. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say this much. Uh, I absolutely disagree, and okay. say that Jason Bourne, the entry, not the franchise as a whole, but this entry is like a regression, I would say, of her female characters, because okay. the only females in this movie... But it, Veronica Coringstone isn't necessarily a, you know, 100% putting towards feminist and when behavior, and when you're talking right? about Veronica Morningstone you're talking no. about her as the archetype Why of like be? the well she ends up being with with Ron at the end of the day but i'm so. saying like her actions in a in an Adam McKay Will Ferrell project are way more feminist than this 
piece of entertainment. Like, I, okay. it, it, it's not so much that I would teach Veronica Cordingstone in a <laughs> feminist text uh, class, but uh, <laughs> this movie, at least, I would say that uh, this movie does not support the weight of any kind of, shall we say, feminism subtext because of the fact that there are only two female characters that appear totally. One of them is killed off for the advancement of the main protagonist, mm-hmm. and the other one is so weakly defined, in my opinion, uh, that we can't get a read on what her actions are anyway because we'd have to see the sequel to even see which one of those, uh, shall we say, personas that she adopts that she even believes in because okay. by the end of this movie, I can't get a grip on it and I don't think it's because I, it's I, I was more I was more asking a question because I just thought it was an interesting parallel between mm-hmm. different genre no, films. I, well, well, I was well, answering, yeah. Piggybacking off of Nick's sentiment, I... Piggyback. Actually, I totally agree with what he's going for because... Shocking. I well, no, because I, I, I agree. I have good ideas. I agree on it. It's like because I think that to say that um, Heather Lee, the character of her, Alicia Vikander, is like comparing her to the character from uh, Anchorman, I, I feel like that's giving not only her character more credit, but it's also giving this story more credit. It's like because it just seems like she's just like rolling with the punches and then like we tried to like reshape her into like this sort of like Machiavellian like yeah. puppet master at the end. It was just like if I could trace back this film, I'm just like how the fuck would you have known that? How the fuck would you have planned that? You're ahead? literally comparing, I would say, a an action thriller like Jason Bourne is to a uh, yes, a comedy, but a comedy that's rooted in parodying the toxic masculinity of a patriarchal society. So, which, which, I, I, which, I just I'm not okay. quite. So her character is, is playing this sort of protege is all she's really been able to aspire to at this point. In the in this weird situation where she is trying to find a way to push herself to the forefront as, as a character, and she ends up literally shooting Tommy Lee Jones at the end of the film, whether it be she's trying to save Jason Bourne or for her own personal beliefs for whatever reason, and then she ends up advancing her career by the end of the film. I'm not I'm not I'm not saying good, bad, otherwise. I was just well, asking okay, a question. You think she advances her career, but technically the final scene is that she's fucked. But I think but let's remember what her worldview of maintenance of control and order in peace would be where like we're not talking about a world where we need to have assets strategically placed throughout the world to to advance the maintenance of and the power of empire at that moment what she is coming to uh, ed, ed, to bring in is the uh, uh, that information will be what will be the next five moves in the chessboard, and that's what she's trying to usher in. So I think that might be one way of looking at her as a character, and and but she still had to be within the patriarchal system that is now in existence. But it, I don't I think that's secondary to what the real issue is is that it is about an ushering of. Not muscle and weaponry anymore, but information that will simply push everything along. It's it's a return to an even. I mean, it's already about subterfuge and it's already about clandestine operations, but it's almost uh, the 21st century equivalent of a Cold War, where it's even more information based. I was just thinking, I was just like, what if there's an Jason Bourne film where it's like all centers around like drone warfare and shit? Like, you can't really fight a drone, Bourne. You can't really like. Hey, dismantle. tell that to The Rock. 
Yeah, no. Woman, I am a cavalry. Oh God, that's dumb. That's that's <laughs> yeah, fast and furious. My, I, I will I mean, say, that scene when he breaks the cast off with his arm. Yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, he's got to go to work. <laughs> I, I I will say this fine at least for my final statement. I yeah, think. Let's do it. Well, I was going to say my final statement on what you were Whoa! asking, but I could go into my final statement. Yeah, go for it, man. Uh, up to, do we have anything more that we really nah. want to get into nah. deep discussion nah. about? Nah. Okay. I'm going to do two-part, which is really quickly to say Got that it. I think any patriarchal connotation in this movie are simply due to the fact that this is a vacuum of underrepresentation of females in a movie okay. and, and in Hollywood at large and sure. should not be read into, but that's my own personal opinion, and that's where my opinions come from. Uh, my final opinion about this movie in general is that I'm just on this side of not being a fan. I, it's not that I hated it. I, I would watch it again. I think there are some great scenes in it. But in general, I think that it um, stays the course a little too much in trying to uh, build build up the Jason Bourne mythology, which only gets more uninteresting the more you reveal. I, I mean, that's the whole point of why I think this franchise was such a hit originally, was because it was this... Uh, wonderful gray area of amorality where Jason Bourne himself even kind of hated himself because he would find out what he did, but he couldn't find out the exact reasons as to why he did these things. And uh, I will say the, the great thing I think about the Jason Bourne series is it is feeling like the, the feeling of those great British spy yeah. with, with good action, because that's always been at least my complaint yes. is that I, I, I'm enjoying the story here, but I honestly am falling asleep halfway oh, yeah. through. And, and here you've got the marriage of that yes, solid story infuses, and good action. Yes, it is. it infuses an American blockbuster sensibility to uh, those wonderful European art thrillers of like John Le Carre uh, spy stories and such. And so that's why I'm, I'm a fan of the franchise in general. But here, because it's been nine years removed since the original footprint of what this uh, series set out to do, I feel like they got a little too far away from it, uh, so to speak. And because of that, I just wasn't too much of a fan. Like, I, I enjoyed the action in this movie, but there were too many times in which I thought we were a little too influenced by the post-Michael Bay era of mm. editing, uh, which is that to say that Paul Greengrass knows how to stage action. I mean, he is a fantastic director, but the the way he melds this footage together does not always uh, bring out his strongest suits. And um, all the stuff, uh, shall we say, with uh, Jason Bourne's father and the original idea behind Treadstone, even though it might not take up like maybe more than 10 to 15 minutes of screen time it's still technically the most important plot point of the movie because it'll be the only thing that is uh shall we say connects to both past and possible future installments so it's technically it's 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 important so to speak uh if if they would have just stayed away from trying to build that kind of thing up i would have been more on board for this uh shall we say trivial action film because they could not help themselves in uh, trying to tie this in uh, in a way that was just so uh, antithetical to what I love about this franchise. I, I couldn't get on board with it ultimately. So I give it two out of five stars because I, it's not that I wouldn't recommend it, but I think it just falls short of what it could have possibly did. For sure. Yeah. Um, another thing I didn't mention is like along in the, in the earlier scenes when there was the whole uh, protesting Greece and whatever, and he was like riding his, his little car like no it was a car it was it was a motorbike sorry <laughs> his little car his little, his little uh, 
vehicle, whatever. He's like, and he's just like shooting at stuff. He just looks so sad and confused and angry. And I'm not really used to like seeing Bourne like that. Usually he's more of like astute and capable. Hey man, he's and, been through some shit. Yeah, he's, he looks years. like he, he looks like he's been through some shit. It's called mortality. It's called growing older after nine years. Um, I, I feel like the longer that this series goes on, it's it's really removed from the potency of the time, the era for which it was actually created, and trying to do another soft reboot and trying to inject it into like this new age of stuff just feels very redundant. I feel like the, this was a, a Jason Bourne film through and through, and that it didn't really bring anything new to the table that I really cared about. It really just kind of like was a retread or a treadstone <laughs> oh, um, of the past. And that's, oh, that's, that's another thing about the... Has the, the Falcon taken the Falconeer in puns tonight? I don't know. That was pretty here, good. Here's another thing about... Um, about the recurring like ghost that is Treadstone throughout this entire series. I feel like the longer that this series is going to go past its initial like trilogy, the more Jason Bourne is going to resemble Hunter S. Thompson after his peak in that like okay, so Treadstone <laughs> Treadstone to Jason Bourne. Unpa- unpack Tread- this. Treadstone. <laughs> See, is his death going to come being shot by a cannon? No, that's yeah. not what I'm talking about. Treadstone. <laughs> That'd be awesome. To Jason Bourne <laughs> is Richard Nixon to Hunter S. Thompson. Like long after the fact that like all this shit was over, ah, long after right. Nixon was was impeached, long after he was dead, he would not stop talking about fucking Nixon. He literally thought that Nixon was the root of all evil into like the. Like well, well, he had well, met Trump. well past like his his decades and other things like that. And it's just like how long are we going to keep talking about fucking Treadstone? Like it's over. It's no, but they're trying to start it up again. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. Born. I give this movie a two. It's fine. <laughs> Thanks, Tucson. Hmm. Um, okay, so. Um, I, I, as I said, I, th- I think I went through waves, you know, with this where I felt like, all right, I got the knives out and I'm carving this up, and then I forgot, and I ended up enjoying. I, I, I forgot that I, I just want to watch a movie, you know, yeah. I, in one of those things. So, but then I kept on, but then I, I can't always quite turn off the other part of my brain. I was like, come on, you know, what we were saying before about just walking with, you know, if, if this is, if you're telling me this is a movie about the the new world of surveillance and yeah. that cameras are going to get everything but yet so aloof to the very technology that you're trying to stop and you are completely walking around with your face you know doing nothing to actually try to like those are things that are hard to kind of reconcile as 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 i'm going uh, as i'm watching this but um i uh but i i i i think if i were going to let the nitpicky things go where there are some you know there's some plot issues and and as as we've covered so far you okay um, over there man Tucson almost died. I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah. um, I was trying to think. There's one more point I was going to make if I have it. God uh, damn it, Tucson. Um, is that uh, I, I would give this? I, I would give this a three and a half uh, oh, stars. Yeah. So I, I think that I'm, I'm. I feel pretty good about it. I respect it, that. Oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, so again, Father of the Year. I, I took my my uh, nine year old to get to see this movie. And I and you know I, you use the expression like a soft reboot, and I think that's it's a really and so then you have to think what is necessary to um, to an audience that how old were they the last time they were my son's age probably yes, of I, the target audience I, I if you think about it right so so think so, about yeah. this and so you know I kind of like sheepishly kind of like talked to my son after the movie I'm like so you know there's a lot of stuff going on in here like you know is there anything like backstory like I need to explain he's like no dad I'm good. I got this. Like he's just like, there's no problem here. Like I, I got it. So like I, I thought that was kind of telling as well that they, 
were able to frame a backstory, yeah. package it that a nine year old was able to kind of pick up and go. So I thought that was so. And he loved. He's like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. It's like he's like five stars, Dad. Yeah, tell him five stars. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I want to clue back into because simply because this. The the born series was part of the fact of like why I like opening tile sequences and ending tile sequences so much. Uh, I fucking hate this new version of Strange Ways by Moby. I know he re-recorded it. And I'm just like, oh, this is shit. I hate it. I'm gonna go home and listen to the real version. Hey, at least Moby did something this millennium. So that's good, right? I know, right? <laughs> what the fuck is he been doing? Not a ton. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say, since we're on a tangent really quick? Sure. Because uh, Brian brought it up. Uh, mm. But I will say as to why, because you brought it up, the uh, the surveillance and mm. like how if you make your movie about surveillance, then you can't then start to ignore the idea that this is at all. Prescient. You're in the grid or you're not. Yeah. And I mean, that's it. I mean, and so you can't be fearful, living in fear of it, but then doing something that's so obviously that would get you nabbed yeah. in a second. Like, I want to say in the Joan Allen is that the part? Is she was that the yeah. second one? Oh yeah, like yeah. they were really like aware of he, where yeah. anywhere he was, and it seemed like they kind of dialed like, that point back of those movies a bit. was this to try like, to find. It felt him. like the leash was really on him tight yeah. in that second one, and this one all of a sudden is like, eh, maybe he's there. He's even there. if I you take know. and here was the thing I was going to bring up. Even if you take a movie that's far more stupid than the Bourne series, which is Furious Seven. Their climax, like, because that movie is all about surveillance and a silly little uh, uh, rip-off of person of interest, God's eye type machine thing, which can see everything. At least their climax was quite literally about cars trying to ditch the grid and trying to get out. Mm-hmm. Like, Jason Bourne, after they introduced the idea of surveillance, basically forgets about the, I would say, pretty much standard protocol as to how right, it which, works. which to me, again, try not to, to, to for for the to be unforgiven, which is then he yeah. goes into the jaws of the surveillance society, which would be modern London, where there's yeah. so many uh, cameras there. So that's the part that that was hard to kind of again kind yeah. of uh, correct in my mind. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, I just I have to say about Jason Bourne is that I, for the most part, enjoyed almost every minute of it. Um, This is a film that I feel like in possibly other years I would have went and saw and thought it was pretty good and not loved it. I think this has fallen a victim to me wanting to grasp for something that I can really just go to the theater, sit down for two hours, eat my popcorn and enjoy. And this ate that shit up for me because Mm -hmm. I've been looking for a movie like this for the last like three months and haven't really gotten it, unfortunately. And I felt like this was it for me. Like this was a film... That jumped right up there and said, "Enjoy what I'm bringing to you." Uh, this enjoy me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> enjoy uh, me. <laughs> um, this was a film that was, for the most part, destined to be enjoyable for me. Storyline aside, because I, I actually don't disagree with a lot of the plot points that you guys have brought mm-hmm. up throughout. That I actually thought the same exact things about it. At the same time, this is a Paul Greengrass action film, and I love his directorial style quick cuts involved with that I, I i enjoyed pretty much every action sequence in this film which there's plenty of them there for you um even even the scenes where they're going through london which was kind of a meh scene i enjoyed i i liked the part of of the the guy who's been showing up a lot lately he's the guy from the night of he was also in the, in the huh Riz Ahmed? Or? No, uh it's Bill Camp I believe. He's in uh he has that weird part 
in uh, the leftovers in the the episode on the bridge where he's holding the noose. That guy. Yeah, he's also yeah. in Birdman randomly. Like hmm. he's been showing up sort of here, and he's a very normal part of this film. Who is he in this? Uh, he's the guy who used to be an agent who. Uh, uh, Born thinks he can trust, and then he ends up he's oh, still yeah, working yeah, yeah. for yep, yep, for yep. them in some way, yeah. uh, whatever. So it, th- there are parts of it that I, I, I definitely can see any criticism for this film. At the same time, though, I was able to turn my brain off for the most part throughout this and not really care too much about the story. Because for the most part, the story here was replaceable, as most of uh, action thrillers are for me. And even though the the Bourne series can be held to a higher esteem, at least the earlier entries, and and I I definitely would say that I I agree with that, Uh, for me, I just wanted this to be an action thriller, and it delivered to me, for for the most part, what I wanted. Can I ask maybe like a a prediction in terms of where does this genre go, which is, I think you have to give due to what the Bourne series did to push moviegoers to or, or just to i think we saw that they they love the idea of like what does occur in the shadows and and, yeah. and 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 we we ate that up and it pushed the bond uh franchise into that to there and i think we'd mentioned Agreed. this maybe last week but um, I, I think this is a step backwards for these films yeah. even though i really enjoyed it yeah. yeah i think this is more on on way more on par with a film like specter from last year than anything that, that's happened recently where it's like hey look at all this awesome dumb fun action isn't yeah. this cool oh by the way we've just taken 10 steps backwards from skyfall right. so so does that mean like will we still will, is there a way to make it grittier again or will it kind of back come back to where it's gonna be more like here's the kingsman like where it's gonna be even more God. kooky and but hyper violent and all that all here's that here's another problem too uh i guess it's part of what his character was I really didn't feel like Matt Damon was trying that hard here. And, no. and, and I, I honestly just think he showed up to collect his check. Yeah. I, I would say as far as the faults of this film, to me, feel like a byproduct of the current climate of Hollywood that we're in, which is the MCU climate, which is that every – and that's the, also the fatal flaw of something like Spectre, which is that everything has to tie into what came before in a – peculiar and twisting way because we need people to think that we were always heading toward this uh, revelation that we never were. And so I think that's the ultimate like telling sign of uh, the state of Hollywood today and where Bourne has taken its influences, where the, the original trilogy, especially the very first film, didn't shall we say, take its inspiration from any, well, not any, but like it became its own thing, and it, and like I said earlier, it infused that American sensibility with the European art thriller, but here this is clearly, at least plot-wise, uh, very much ingrained in the idea that this has to have a sense of profundity, otherwise people aren't going to eat it up. That being said, really enjoyed it. Three and a half out of five for me. I I will watch this when it comes out on uh, home video, and I I will enjoy it. I I think, and I, I, another thing that I really didn't get a chance to to mention earlier on that much, I don't think, was I thought the casting here was actually fantastic. I mean, a lot of performers here that I'm a huge fan of, uh, mainly Alicia Vikander. I know that he's really fallen off in terms of his talent, but Tommy Lee Jones is someone that I like seeing, even if he's not great, because he he's a he's a person that's been a, just a kind of a guy who's been playing that same kind of role over time, and even if he's playing a replaceable agency leader here, I just like seeing Tommy Lee Jones. I, I will say, if if there was if there was a major complaint of this movie, I felt that his 
dialogue in the command scenes in in the danger room or whatever were mm. so ridiculously redundant which is like <laughs> you know like the most uh, the next thing that happened to be like uh kill him you know or like well obviously that's Enhance. what they're gonna do it and yeah exactly like uh, yeah, we got this old man like we're like, yeah. they, we're, like we're, we're like as we imagine they're waiting for direction for them to press a button i'm just things. waiting wait wait, wait crazy waiting Press. for waiting for him to to look down and see a half drank glass of milk like in no country rule and go oh god damn it, we just missed him oh shit <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um the the other the performer here that I truly enjoyed even though he didn't have that much of a huge role was Vincent Cassell. I love seeing him um and I think he fits so well into these kind of films that Great. I I just like seeing him as that kind of villainous role even if he's a European villain. Okay, fine. Great. Um I like him as that and I like the way he acts and I just uh, I wish we would see more of him and I yeah, like seeing him here. So three and a half out of five for me uh, for Jason Bourne. So next week we're going to be back and we're going to don't say it possibly don't hit, say it. hit on our final superhero film of this year, which possibly will, will bring our will bring some excitement to my co-hosts who have grown very tired of the superhero genre. <laughs> Uh, especially, well, Toussaint has, as, as he used to like them, and now, and Nick, who just couldn't care less. Just end it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you are yeah. a horrible person. It's not. Take any, the title literally. Five. Five. The film is the film I've been looking forward to the most all year. Uh, oh, boy. It sounds like it's not going to be that good. And it is Suicide we'll Squad. See. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. You know, we'll obviously talk about it next week. We will. And if you have any thoughts before then, please send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Uh, just like Batman vs. Superman, this will probably bring a very. Um, disjointed reaction between what the critical feel is and what the fanboy feel is. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, you know, I would imagine again, like next, next week's episode is you're it, like what we did with Batman versus Superman is going to be an hour. Just talking about the elephant in the room uh, is Marvel and and how everything has to be a you can't compare it to Marvel though. What the fuck else are you supposed to be able to compare it to? It's like it's <laughs> exactly it's just like well, they're totally different films. Like they're fucking superhero it, it, films. It dude. is something I will say this. It is something that Marvel really hasn't done yet. At the same time, though, I don't know if the I don't know if the execution is going to be anything original. So we'll see. Uh, I'm also very interested to see what the first weekend box office is mm. for this. As I have had a feeling along the way. That if this got decent reviews, which it has not, that this could end up being a big box office success. But we'll see. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I it'll have know. a good opening weekend. Agreed. But I, I think it'll it, it's going to win the weekend. No yeah. doubt. Oh, yeah. It's, box but, office right. but after that, does not commute like to The marketing critical. was great. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, and I think it could end up having either probably the, it, probably the third biggest opening weekend of the year. We'll see. Oh, opening week. Yeah, opening weekend. Yeah, yeah we'll I see. don't think it's going to top Civil War. I don't think it's going to top Finding Dory, but I think it'll be close to the others. It's amazing though how well marketed this was, yeah. um, and how people just all the different uh, the where they bring in the nostalgic music, Queen, and you know all, all these different trailers that they brought up, 
and yet in the past 48 hours how all the wind in the sails has been sucked out because of what rotten we've seen. tomatoes the those rotten bastards tomatoes. exactly like all of a sudden like close them down you guys it, you guys were sitting around on the, on the <laughs> chat I just had a buddy just texted me now it's 31% on rotten tomatoes already whatever that means it's gone down are. yeah exactly <laughs> so uh, it's well. and but I will say this and, and that's pre Rotten Tomatoes and mm-hmm. everything. This has been a year, whether people have liked certain movies or not liked them, this has been a year that has just been starved for a film that really captured the summer, like Jurassic World did last year, good or bad otherwise. A Star film that, that really became huge mm-hmm. throughout the year. Like We haven't had that since Deadpool. Like Deadpool yeah. was the one film earlier this year that really caught on and became bigger oh, yeah, than that it. was this year. Yeah, and that was a big mm-hmm. thing early in the year when it was kind of unexpected. So we'll see what it's like with the box office and with fan reaction and with our reaction on next week's episode as well. Mm-hmm. You can always find us at FilmTankShow.com where you can find our episodes also on iTunes or Stitcher. And sometimes you can even find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Sometimes. From our guest, Brian Turnbaugh, who uh, is going to have to be going back to work here soon. Indeed. So we'll, we'll so might be, maybe, Brian, don't. Yeah, maybe, maybe I can sneak one out throughout the year. So I was going to say, I, I think we're going to try to find one more time here before the end of the year to have oh, Brian yeah. on. But not going to be as many appearances as he's had in the last couple months. But thank you again no, that's for blast, joining guys. us, Brian. Always fun. Yeah, Always fun. Was, I really I, I, I can't thank you guys just because just your, all your recommendations. I mean, it's just um, the the movies that I'm now like I don't want to say forcing myself to watch, but like <laughs> I want I, I've I'm just I'm remembering why I love movies again yeah. you know, because of all the conversations that we've had and and it's been great. So I really it's really our pleasure. Think, yeah, yeah. Well, more great. Nick's because Nick's yeah. the one who gives all the recommendations. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what were you say, Summer or was that? No, I just. Crying. <laughs> it's because you finally get to to use your Joker laugh next week and actually have it be yeah. relevant. Yep. <laughs> he was just, he was just about to reel up to it. Ah. And he was like, oh, this son of a bitch. <laughs> we call that edging. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so from Brian Turnbrow to Sandy again, Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman. Thank you very much, as always, for tuning in to Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time.